Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All righty. Let's start looking at guys the A's could acquire. How about our old friend, really, one of the nicest kids you're going to meet. How about Kendall Graveman? 1-0 with a 1.19 ERA and seven saves, and he's not making anything. Now remember, he, he, his numbers would be even better if he didn't, wasn't on the IL for like three weeks because he had the COVID scare and he was like isolating. He was like self-isolating in a hotel did he room. Ever, did he actually have COVID? I don't know the answer to that for sure. I just know he, like, was stuck how, in a, he was like stuck in his hotel in a hotel room in San Diego for like three weeks. How could you be out for proto- 14 days and they dropped it to like 10 or 7? Yeah, how are you there for three weeks? I just remember him being out for a while and he's back You're now. You're saying he was in a hotel room in San Diego for I three did, weeks. I just know he was out for like three weeks. For on the COVID IL, that means or at least he's fresh, it, or at least it felt like three weeks. As Brad, as Brad, as Brad Pitt would say, that means he's cheap. Sounds like an A already. <laughs> so yeah, sounds like an Oakland A already. Uh, so he he's the guy I was looking at. Another guy I was I was just going through a list because you well, asked and me. also just think about this too. He's not that long from being outside the A's clubhouse. No, it's only been a couple of years. And he's still buddies with a lot of the pitchers. Like Chris Bassett. It's it's kind of like a no-brainer bringing him back, right? I mean, he's dirt cheap. He's throwing his mid-90s and sinking the you-know-what out of it, and he's found the role for him. And he could really – I mean, you, you, you start talking about uh, uh, bringing in a power arm. I, I can see where Ace fans would be like, really? Do we remember Kendall Graveman? Yep, but it's a different guy now. He's coming out of the pen. It wasn't, it's, a, it's a different deal. He wasn't throwing 98 with sink when he pitched for the A's. Uh, he's a guy, there's a guy pitching in the series. There's two guys in the series. Tonight. I mentioned John King already. He doesn't throw hard, but he's controllable. The other guy's Ian Kennedy. I mean, Ian Kennedy, he's up there. He's 36 years old, but he's, he is, doesn't have a record this, yet this year, which is not only – take that what you, with what you want, but he's a 239 ERA, and he has 13 saves as the Rangers' closer because their closer – 
Jose LeClerc is out for the year. I believe he had Tommy Don surgery. So he's filling in as the closer for the Rangers. And he's a, he's a free agent next year, so you can get him for the, the rest of this year. He's on a minor league deal. He's not making anything. Um, I mean, this might be a bad question, but why do you need a closer when you're 30 and 48? I, mean, I don't know. Maybe we're expecting him to go on a big second half run. I mean, That's if you're not trying to win, what do you need a, what do you need a closer for? Yeah, I mean, hey, the Nationals went and acquired a bunch of relievers a couple of years ago. We're like, why have they got all these relievers? And they want one in the World Series. So who knows? But I I don't understand why you want to have a closer if you're already uh, – how many – there are, what, 19 and a half games out of first place or 20, whatever it is now in the division. That So that's one t- – another team, if you're going to keep it in the division, so we did two teams in the division, uh, your guy, Rysel Iglesias, the closer for the Angels. Uh, they're winning they're, – uh, they're losing right now to the Yankees, so they're going to be about to be another game back. The uh, Brian Cashman's words of uh, "We suck right now" are inspiring the Yankees, uh, but Iglesias is four and three with a three eight six ERA and thirteen saves in twenty twenty one. He's a free agent next year too. His average fastball velocity is ninety six. His average sinker velocity is ninety seven. I, I don't know what those numbers mean because we're not used to seeing that kind of velocity out of the bullpen besides well, Trevino. That is what I'm talking about. They need to add velocity to their bullpen. No offense to Yasmero, no offense to Sergio, no offense to any of those guys down there. But if we've learned one thing from the Rays, is that you need to be bringing in guy after guy after guy with high velo, especially once you get to the postseason. And even listening to your guy, Brian Kenny today on MLB Now, who says, you know what, I'm starting to look at it differently. He said, John Smoltz and somebody else, they've convinced me now that there's one way to play in the regular season and there's a way to play in the postseason. You have to view each postseason, it's, each, it's, it's an individual game, right? You're not playing, it's different than the regular season where, like the A's, played 17 in a row. Then you played 16 in a row. Here it's all about one game. And that's what the Rays have been very good at. And Brian's realizing, as if you didn't watch MLB Now today, where they're putting together the cheapest, best teams you could. But with guys who have all-around skills. They may not have the best metrics, but what they do is they play good defense. They're versatile. Kiner Falefa, oh, that was the shortstop that uh, BK took today. Because one of the things he said, he said, he can play all over the diamond. And he's also an okay. emergency catcher. Yeah, he's the first player in MLB history to, I think, have like, I think it's either 50 or 60 games played at catcher, third base, and shortstop. Well, and he's having a good year offensively. But that's the thing. It's like, and we've seen this with our guys. Unfortunately, you know, their, their numbers aren't great offensively. But when you've got people that have versatility, like Tony Kemp does have good numbers. And that's why Tony Kemp is playing. And. The fact that you can play outfield, you can play infield, you can play all over the diamond. Uh, would like to see Chad Pender start to hit more, but that's kind of been his thing. That's made him versatile and and good for Bob Melvin is being able to play a lot of different positions. And that's something that, that BK was like, hey, listen, you know, I understand when you get into the postseason, it's not always the big things. It can be the little things why you win. How your how's your base running? How's your how's your defense? You know, how's your versatility? 
Are you able to do little things as much as people around baseball? Wait, bunt? Yeah, maybe putting down a bunt. Maybe hitting behind a runner. Making sure you get a sack fly and you get, you know, every run is so crucial. Being able to hit to the right side. And now with everybody shifting, the right side and the left side, depending on if you're a right or left-handed hitter, they're open all the time. So the little thing, you know, as they said, kind of, and I hate to say this, but these guys that can really play, I'm not going to use the cliche. I'm going to say it this way. Guys that can really play the game and be productive players doing a lot of different things other than just hitting home runs and walking. You know, when you start to factor in, how does the guy play defense? How does the guy throw from the outfield? Because you know what? Those are little things in the postseason that matter to where, you know, we've built so many of these teams now just to grip it and rip it and hit as many home runs and walk as many times as you can. From what I'm taking from that, you're looking for a competitor. That's what you're looking for. Uh, don't, don't tell me I'm looking for a complete – I'm looking for a baseball yeah, yeah. player. So another couple guys before we get to Cole Irvin. Uh, another guy- my guy from the Nationals. Uh, Daniel Hudson, uh, he's you know former Pirate Daniel Hudson, mind you. Uh, he's been pretty good. He's 4-1 of well the 2-5-90 area this year. 35 strikeouts in 24 in a third innings. Free agent in 2022. He is making 6 mil this year, but it's going to be probably cut in half because it's working halfway through the season. He's having a nice year. A guy that's interesting to me is, is, is Taylor Rogers, not Tyler Rogers, who we saw over the weekend of the Giants, his brother, Taylor, of the Twins. He's 2-3 and three of the 2-5-3 ERA and 7 saves this year. He's not a free agent until 20, 2023, but he's making six mil this year. But he has an average fastball velocity of 96, so vastly Bring different. Bring it down. Vastly different than his brother, who throws is a sidewinder, doesn't throw nearly as hard. A couple other guys, Daniel Bard, the great story from the Rockies. He throws really hard. He's their closer. Very high ERA, but he does have 10 saves. And he does pitch in Coors Field. Yeah, yeah but, he's, but he throws very hard. He throws 100. Yeah, I mean, he, he's the story of the guy that was uh, – Nuke Lelouch couldn't find the strike zone. Yeah. Out of baseball for like seven years, and, and he's back. now he's back blowing Ched. Two, two other guys, Michael Fulmer of the Tigers, if you remember him, he just won on the 10-day IL. He used to be a starter for them. He's actually closing games for them now. He has a, four, a little over four ERA, he has six saves. He's on a free agent until 2023. He's making three, a little over three mil this year. He's the guy. And then Hansel Robles, the former Angel, he throws almost 97 He's making only two mil this year. He has an ERA of 3.63 and seven saves for the Twins also. So the Twins have some guys in their bullpen that they're going to need to look to move besides Nelson Cruz in their lineup because, uh, well, let's say they stink this year and they're underperforming. He is the editor-in-chief of Athletics Farm. Bill Moriarty is going to join us in just a moment to talk about what is going on in the minor leagues. And what tell, tell me about Schwindel because we know Bob Melvin is a guy that has actually pushed – for Frank to come up. And do we have Bill? Bill, welcome back to A's Cast Live. Hey, how you doing? Well, we're doing well, and we know that Bob Melvin was saying, I, I want to see Schwindel up here. Well, F- Bob finally got his wishes. He's <laughs> having a terrific year. But as we know, it's tough to judge the numbers in AAA. How good is he? Well, it's interesting. You're right. I mean, it's hard to judge things based on Vegas and the, the, uh, the AAA West League. But I will say this, Frank Schwindel was tied for the league lead in home runs. So even though there are a lot of home runs in that league, he's still hitting more than everybody else there except Joe Adele, who also has 16. And uh, he was also tied for the league lead in RBIs. So, you know, he's been an incredibly productive hitter for Las Vegas. 
Now, of course, he's not a young prospect. He's 29 years old, so he's been bouncing around for a while. Uh, but, you know, he, he had, a, I think, a slugging percentage of about 643 down there. So I don't care what ballpark you're hitting in. If you if you got a slugging percentage around 640, you know you can you can do some damage. You can definitely put the bat on the ball. So you know we'll see what he does in Oakland. Uh, hopefully he's got some uh, momentum going. He's feeling good at the plate, and and uh, he can you know make take advantage of this opportunity. But um, you know why not give the guy a chance? We've got a we've got a spot there. Why not see what he can do? Maybe you can ride the hot hand for a little while anyway. And isn't that the great thing about the athletics? is that they basically tell everybody in the minor leagues, if you produce, you'll have a chance to move up. Yeah, and, you know, in this game, in this day and age, you know, there's so many injuries. It seems like players just get hurt every week you're putting somebody on the I.L., and, you know, if you've, if you've got guys at AAA who are hitting and raking, you know, why not just give them a shot? You, you can – I mean, you've seen it before. Guys come up and they just get hot and you ride them for a while. I don't know if you know the A's. Uh, you know, re-signed uh, a former friend of theirs, a right-hander, Homer Bailey, to yeah. a minor league contract. Uh, he's been assigned to Vegas too. It's just one of those things where nobody wanted Homer Bailey, but you, you, you could—it's not impossible to imagine something happening like you know Homer Bailey starting a playoff game in October or something. You know, after the A's claim him off the scrap heap, stranger things have happened. Oh, I—I I, I put nothing by this front office. You never ever know what's going to happen with this front office. You know, two guys that we have exhausted so much time on my shows, uh, Jesus Lizardo and A.J. Puck. We'll start with Puck. I mean, Puck's numbers down there are horrific. What's going on with him? You know, it's a really good question. I mean, the, the velocity had been down. It's, it's been ticking back up a bit. But, you know, his last outing, fortunately, he pitched a clean inning. You know, he's pitched one scoreless inning in relief. But his three outings before that he gave up four home runs in the three outings one in in two of them and then two home runs in one of them so guys are just tagging the ball off him so you know i don't know if it's a matter of him just getting comfortable getting back in the groove after all this surgery and injuries of like throwing right and feeling comfortable and having his motion be right but guys are definitely teeing off on him you just have to hope that over time that he you know finds his way back into that groove but you know, he certainly hasn't seemed to do it yet. He's not looking like the kind of guy that could benefit the A's bullpen right now like we'd all we'd all hope to see, that's for sure. And when Jesus Lazardo got sent down, I mentioned this, and I know it sounds crazy for a guy who you think could have ace potential, um, you know, whatever, but to send a guy down to get right to a league that is not easy to pitch in, and I was like, this guy needs wins, and I don't mean wins as in the win column. He needs wins as in one, two, three innings, gaining confidence. And I was thinking about maybe maybe let him go down to double-A for a little bit where he's not going to get hammered like he's going to get hammered in triple-A because so, it hasn't been that easy for Jesus down in triple-A. Speak to that. No, it hasn't. You know, and the, the, the weird thing about him is, you, I mean, we've all watched him pitch well when he's really on, and he's so sharp and he has such great command. Uh, in his couple of appearances back down at Vegas, he really hasn't had that command. He's been walking guys. I think in his, his two appearances down there, each, uh, each game, about half of his pitches were strikes and about half of them were balls. And that's not the typical Jesus Lazardo. You know, he, he, he's usually got 
he knows where that ball is going. And to see him throwing that many balls uh, down in AAA is, is a little concerning to me. I don't, I, you know, he just seems to have lost his command. And I don't know what that's all about. You know, if it's, um, you know, if it's uh, his delivery or his grip on certain pitches, what it is. But he, when he was out on the mound, sometimes when he was on, it just seemed like he could place that ball exactly where he wanted it to be. And that just doesn't seem to be the case right now. So I don't know what it's going to take again to get him back, but he's definitely going to have to throw a little more before he gets back in the groove as well. Cause uh, you know, he's, he's not, they're not teeing off on him down there, but he's certainly not looking, looking sharp like you'd like to see him be. Well, just to quote Brad Pitt from the movie Moneyball, if he's such a great hitter, why doesn't he hit? Well, <laughs> if he's such a great pitcher, why is he giving up 21 home runs in 31 games? Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, and you know, I mean, I was, I was hoping we'd be seeing Jesus Lazardo as a, as a potential Cy Young contender this year, <laughs> not you know, watching him struggle in AAA. So it's definitely been a disappointment, and I'm sure he has the potential to do it, but, but we, we really need to see him doing it, and, and hopefully before long he'll get back in that groove. We'll see. Well, we got a bunch of guys down there hitting over 300. Are we now talking about batting average? Since every single time I bring it up, I sound like Old Man River. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I know you like you, you like the batting average, so I always like to to talk to you about guys' batting average. But you know, I think it's it's it it is significant to see in the minor leagues because you want to see that when a, that a guy can put the bat on the ball and put the ball in play because if a guy's just drawing walks and just getting on base in the in the minor leagues you know he's not going to be getting as many balls from major league pitchers as he's going to get from those more tentative minor league pitchers so you want to see that a guy can do some damage with the bat too but yeah the good news is i mean there's not so many great pitching prospects in the a system right now but they've got some good hitters who are performing well I mean, at AAA, they've got Greg Dykeman, who's hitting over 300. A uh, really good left-handed hitter. He's getting on base all the time as well. So he's got both those things going for him. And then at AA, Nick Allen is hitting, I think, 333 right now. And he's got an on-base percentage of about 380. And we all know the A's could use a shortstop. I'm hoping that in the second half of the season, the A's will promote him to, to AAA and get, get his feet wet up there. So hopefully he's ready to go, perhaps. Uh, next year, certainly ready to compete for the shortstop position next year. Um, also at Double uh, A, Logan Davidson, the A's uh, uh, recent uh, top draft pick, um, he got off to a slow start, but he's been hitting over 300 in June as well. He's another shortstop or infielder anyway. And then the guy we all love down at down at Stockton, the A's last uh, uh, top pick last year, catcher Tyler Soderstrom. He's just kept hitting. He hasn't let up. He's hitting 311. He's got an on-base percentage of 397. He's got a slugging percentage of 554. He's leading the league in doubles. He's got 17 doubles as a 19-year-old, leading the league in extra base hits with 26, and he's got eight home runs already. So he's definitely looking like the real deal, and I'm hoping, you know, it's interesting to see if the A's are going to push him maybe to high A in the second half as well. Um, you know, he's still just 19, but, man, he certainly seems to be manhandling the uh, the former California League, now the low A West League. He is a prodigy, and I hope he forces the A's hand because this kid, I don't know where you're going to play him. He's super athletic. Uh, you got Murph up here at this point, but – whether you put him in the outfield or wherever, this kid can hit. And I I hope he's here sooner than later because I got a feeling, 
I mean, we you and I have talked about it. He hadn't played since high school, and he's dominating. I mean, not a lot of guys do that. They're special kids. I got a feeling he's going to be here before we know it. Yeah, I mean, he really, uh, he's given you nothing to doubt him about, right? I mean, he hasn't even had, like, a bad stretch. A lot of times, these guys, they might have a a nice little week or two, and then they kind of go into a funk for a week or two. I I don't think he's gone, I I haven't looked this up, don't quote me, but I I don't think he's gone more than two games without getting a hit. He's just been so consistent every series he's producing. And again, it's just a 19-year-old right out of high school. It's it's amazing to see. So if they, I'm assuming that, you know, the midpoint of this minor league season is going to be right around draft time, which is a couple weeks from now. I think July 11th is the first day of the draft this year. And I'm assuming that right around that point, we're going to see, you know, a lot of guys get promoted to the next level for the second half. And we'll see if they do that with Soderstrom, if they decide to just go slow and keep him as sort of the hometown team there. Um, uh, but it would certainly would be great to see him go up to Lansing and see what he could do there. And, uh, again, like I said, the same with Nick Allen. It would be great to get him in AAA so that he's just uh, a step away from the majors and we've got a shortstop uh, in waiting there because we all know – what a defensive whiz Nick Allen is. He could definitely play a great shortstop in the major leagues right now. Uh, it was just a question of his bat. But, you know, so far he's hitting, hitting 333, getting on base, and he's, I think he's even got four home runs now. And he's leading uh, the Rockhounds in the stolen bases right now, too. So Nick Allen's been doing everything you could ask about him. So those are definitely Soderstrom, Nick Allen, uh, are definitely a couple of guys to be really excited about right now. Well, the bottom line is when you're a top pick out of high school, you're not supposed to be in the minor leagues a long time. I mean, this is not like you say, oh, let's let's keep him down till he's 23 <laughs> years old, right? I mean, if you're, if you're legit – you're not going to stay down there long, and I'm bullish on Nick Allen because I went to school with his mother and his aunt, and his his father is our contractor for our restaurant <laughs> in San Diego. I know the family real well, and it, he's going to Tokyo for the Olympics, right? Well, yeah, he was. You know, but that was the other thing is he was away from the team for a couple of weeks with the uh, you know with the Team USA qualifying, and you know sometimes guys go away and they get kind of out of sync, you know, and it takes a while to get back, but. He didn't miss a beat. Uh, he's, he's, he's leading the team in, in a number of categories, even though he was away from the team for a couple of, couple of weeks. So, yeah, I mean, Nick Allen has just been another one that's been so consistent all year. But it's funny you mentioned, you know, when you draft a kid out of high school, what you expect of him. But – you know, Austin Beck, the ace top draft pick out of high school a few years ago, you know, has sort of been just the opposite of, of Soderstrom. You know, he really hasn't gotten on track. He really has struggled. He So to see Soderstrom doing that, you know, it, it doesn't always happen with these guys this way. Sometimes it, it doesn't happen. Uh, and, and the A's have seen that with some of their past draft picks. So it's, it's great to see it happening with Soderstrom right off the bat. Or your top draft pick becomes a Heisman Trophy winner and becomes the first overall pick for the Arizona Cardinals, so you never know. Uh, in, in, In speaking for Nick, and I know he played for Team USA, whatever level that was, but to now represent your country in a place like Tokyo, where I've been twice with the A's, and we know how Japanese baseball and the Japanese people love baseball. I got to think if there was ever a team that you would want to be on for Team USA, other than playing at home, playing in Tokyo is going to be amazing for these kids. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty exciting opportunity. And, 
like I said, outside the United States, there's probably nowhere that loves baseball as much as Japan, and uh, you know they get very excited about it over there. So I think it's a it's a great environment to be playing in, as opposed to you know sometimes you have the Olympics in a city that where they don't even know what baseball is. So that's certainly not the case <laughs> case in Tokyo. So I I think there'll be plenty of attention on the on the, what's going on over there. Oh yeah, there's been places over the years now. You know, baseball went away; it's come back. Uh, in the Olympics, yeah, but I'm sure there's been plenty of times back in the years where people are like, I have no idea what's going on here. Uh, two guys I want to end with is uh, Grant Holmes and Dalton Jeffries. They're not throwing yeah. the ball well. How worried are you about that? Well, you know, interesting. So Dalton Jeffries got off to a great start this year. His first four starts or so, he had an ERA under two. Uh, but his last few starts, two of his last three starts were – um, I think he gave up six and seven runs in two of the last three. And again, his command, normally he's, his command is pinpoint, but it's really been off. Uh, you know, he's been walking a couple of guys, walking a few guys, giving up giving up runs. His ERA is up over five now. He had been looking really sharp down there in the early going, but he seems to, uh, uh, you know, have lost uh, control a bit here over the last few starts. Um, and then Grant Holmes, who, uh, you know, a lot of us were expecting a lot of this year, got off to a really rough start. Uh, his ERA is currently uh, somewhere between 9 and 10. They finally moved him out of the starting rotation and have moved him into the bullpen. He's made three relief appearances now. Fortunately, in two of those relief appearances, they've, he hasn't given up a run. He's been spotless. Uh, one of them, he gave up a couple runs. But he's looked a lot better coming out of the bullpen. So, you know, maybe that's – I don't know if that's going to be a permanent move or a temporary move, but it certainly seems to have, you know, had a positive effect on his mindset anyway. Again, he's another one. I think he'd uh, given up uh, like nine home runs in about 30 innings. So um, that, you know, was definitely a bit of a problem. But also – his command was just totally off. He was walking guys left and right. He has looked a little sharper out of the bullpen. So, again, whether that's a permanent or a temporary fix, uh, at least he's looking a little better there. Hopefully he's he's headed back in the right direction again now. Hey, my new joke with the guy going tonight, James Caprellian, uh, the next time he goes to Vegas, it's going to be on vacation because he's not going <laughs> back down. Yeah, that's for sure. I'll tell you, it's it's great that he finally got a shot after everything he went through. You know, he didn't pitch at any level for two and a half solid years. And, you know, it took him a long time and a lot of hard work to just get back on the mound at any level and then to finally make it to, to that mound in the major leagues and, and looking like he's there to stay is great. And you can understand after everything James Caprillion's been through why his dad is so excited every time James <laughs> Caprillion takes the mound. Yeah, it's something beautiful to watch. Bill, always great. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Well, it's been a while since we've been able to speak. How's life treating you? It is uh, fantastic, obviously. Uh, had an off day yesterday, so feel pretty good. Uh, Lou Trevino and I played a little golf and had some fun and just uh, enjoyed the off day. Where'd you guys tee it up? Uh, Blackhawk over in, uh, I think, San Ramon. Oh, yeah. Might be, yeah, nice, nice little course. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, the home of Billy Bean and uh, Glenn Kuyper. You got a lot of A's who live out there. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the guys like to live over in that in that area. It's a, it's a lot lot quieter and uh, it's a little less busy. Does a day off after you throw eight innings of scoreless baseball strike uh, striking out eight feel a little bit better and teeing it up? Yeah, uh, my drive was definitely uh, 
definitely impacted by by that performance. I'll tell you that. I, I was I felt pretty good on the course, but more importantly, I felt good on on the field too. That was that was that was obviously one of my better performances of my career, and that felt felt extremely good to just have under my belt, always be able to reflect on. You know, the thing that I love about your game is pounding the strike zone, and that's what you do. And it it just leads to so much success, how everything plays off your fastball. Just talk about your game plan when you go out there and you're filling up the strike zone. Well, I mean, I I learned from a young age. I had coaches when I was younger tell me, you know, the way you make it to the big leagues is if you throw strikes and you get out. And you don't question how you get the out. You just throw strikes and you get out. And, uh, and at some point, uh, my career, you know, a couple coaches told me that, and that's just something I've always done. And so the, so the ability to command the zone, um, you know, when I got older, that became a little bit more of a topic of commanding the zone. What does that mean? Well, that means pitching in, uh, and using what you use best in throwing strikes with those pitches. And so, you know, I just try to utilize my fastball, which is arguably my best, you know, my best pitch because i command it so well to not only the you know glove side and arm side part of the plate but also up and down and um and then i have the sinker and change up that's just a great combo and then you know through a little bit of the slider yesterday or slider the other day so you know there was there was times where just everything kind of everything kind of fell into sync and i think i said this the other day was uh you know i felt like in my last three four outings i've been so close to having a having this feeling um i know i I know i've been searching for it i've been trying to get back into a solid rhythm um you know like a little bit earlier in the season um and so i've been trying to search for a a few things and i I feel like i I found my stride again you know i had a pitching coach in college who said to me what is the best pitch in baseball for you and i go well it's my fastball or it's my circle change and he goes no dummy strike one Strike one is the yep. best pitch and will ever be. Just talk about that. When you get 0-1, you get 1-2, you get 0-2, you're in that pitcher's count, how the percentages so play better for you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a 300-point swing, uh, you know, up and down based on, you know, 0-1 or 1-0. If you're behind the count, the batting average goes, goes through the roof. And if you're 0-1, um, the, the favor, you know, comes into your play as a pitcher and so you know and being able to execute on one one counts i feel like when you get behind it's okay to you know it's okay to get one one it's it's you know there's getting ahead is so important that i think we lose like when we do get behind we need to have that pitch that we can get one one with and and uh just just strike throwing is just such an important part of the game and i i just feel like if i, I feel like guys are um stay in the game longer when you see you know really solid outings you know throughout the league it's because they're executing pitches they're getting early outs they're throwing a lot of strikes early early in the game and um and then you can expand as that game goes on and i think that's what i just did the other day really well and and uh aramis and i really really kind of stuck together on that in our pregame routine i told him i said you know i trust you uh 100 percent uh, with the Giants, and then because that's his former club, and and then I, I also emphasized to him that I said I want to I want to expand a little bit more uh, later in the game. So you know I got some calls off the plate, uh, you know the 
most notable one, the strikeouts away, it had to be a ball and a half off the plate. And uh, I got that call just because I'd been living in the zone for so long and I knew I could expand. And he started giving me a little bit more of the corner later in that game. So I started to expand as far as he let me. Well, I'm glad you brought up Garcia because, you know, the worst thing when we're watching it and you're seeing a guy who's not comfortable, he's constantly shaking off, catcher's got to come out, you're just thinking, oh, no, these guys aren't in sync. Just talk about what it's like when you do have that trust. As you mentioned, he played for them. But you guys are just vibing out there together to where you can just, you know, as we talk about hitters, see ball, hit ball, you can just see sign throw ball as a pitcher. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I got to remind myself that it is my game, and sometimes you got to get out of sync to find that new rhythm um, and, and get get yourself further in the ball game. And and there's times where you got to have you got to have discussions with your catcher, and and that's what Sean and and uh, Aramis do so well is they they do so well of understanding what we like to do in certain counts and. Uh, we try not to be too predictable. There's times where I definitely can be, and that's where you see those a little bit bigger innings. And um, and so for me, it's it's AG was just so on point with everything. He knew when I wanted to expand. He knew when I wanted to go up. And and there was a couple times where he wanted out and I wanted in, but because it was the same fastball, I kind of threw it. I still kind of threw it to where I wanted to throw it. So I wasn't necessarily shaking him off, but. Uh, you know, there was just like so many. There was just so many times where um, you know this this season, just Sean and Ag have been uh, you know so good about just communicating with me about what they what they see, and I, I communicate with them with what what I'm seeing as well. You know, it was nice to see Sean and I get a couple hits, but normally when we see guys in the American League hit, it's going to be a disaster. And I thought that bunt that you got down perfectly, which led to the run, just shows how you've been playing in the National League. Talk about when you go up there, how you really can't help yourself. It doesn't always have to be a base hit. It can be a little small ball with that bunt. Yeah, I mean, I think think the whole day kind of, for me – on the offensive side of the ball really kind of uh, exploded after the hard hit ground ball that I hit to the shortstop and, and ran hard down the line. I mean, I'm not necessarily fast and, and, <laughs> fa- and definitely not fast. I should say that. And, uh, but still had him make a throw because I ran hard down the line. And, um, you know, that's just baseball being baseball. If you, if you make quick good contact on the ball and challenge somebody, good things might happen. And, and it just so happened that in that case it did. And, and I think it, you know, maybe the hustle, you know, base, the game of baseball rewarded me with the, with the quality sack bunt, the first base side. And so, you know, I just love, I just love being a baseball player. I, I hate, I think that's maybe the one thing I loved about being in the national league is that I can be a full, I can, I can encompass my entire game is, is be a full baseball player as opposed to just being a pitcher. Um, and so that was just, it's just fun when I get to hit. And the, the coolest part about the whole outing the other day on the offensive side of the ball is being able to face my former closer, Jimmy Scherfe. Um, uh, when we were in college together at Oregon, um, he was our closer my freshman year. And um, he had this wipeout slider through 97. And to be able to sit in the box and experience that for myself, uh, that was pretty cool. 
Do you ever think about now you're not getting that many opportunities, but you know, a lot of times the pitcher's gonna he's gonna throw you a fastball first pitch and he's gonna get it over. You ever ever think about, you know what, I'm gonna come out of my shoes here. I'm gonna I'm gonna lift the leg a little bit. I'm gonna try and get a little launch angle, and why not grip it and rip it? Do you ever think about that? Yeah, I mean I had a I had a I think I had it was a it was a, I had a fastball count in my – it was like a 2-1 count, and I knew I knew Scherfey was going to be throwing a fastball. And I I swung out of my shoes and fouled it over Kate's head up in the stands. And, uh, you know, it, I want to hit a home run. And, actually, I really wanted a home run against against Scherfey. That was <laughs> – of all the people that I wanted to get it off of, it was my former teammate, just to, just to have that on him. But, you know, it, at the same time, uh, you know, I – I just love the full aspect of being a baseball player is, you know, getting on base, you know, being able to base run and, and, uh, you know, tag and uh, read, read where outfielders are understanding they have good arms. Like it's just the full, the full flow of the game is just so fun to be a part of and being on the base pass is definitely fun for me too. And I just love hitting and there's just so much I could talk about offense all day. I coach hitting in the off season. It's not foreign to me. I, I just enjoy being a ball player. Yeah, the guy going tonight, James Caprellian, you know, everything that he's been through. But we were told, hey, listen, when he's healthy, this guy is legit. And kind of like yourself, he's somebody that's constantly pounding the strike zone, challenging people. And we've seen in multiple games him get into trouble and him have the confidence to get out of trouble. I always talk about with, with, with guys who are young pitchers, they're either guys that are going out there to win or guys going out there to survive. James is the kind of guy for me that's going out there to win. Tell me what you've seen in the right-hander who's going tonight for your club. I'll tell you what. Cap is absolutely an incredible athlete and has incredible work ethic. There's nothing like it on this team in comparison to our starters. Um, he He's an absolute competitor and wants to win every night, like you said. And uh, it's really fun to – it's very easy to root for the guy, too, because he just works so, so hard. Um, you know, what's, what's unique about him – and some similarities with myself is like you like you said you mentioned is his strike throwing ability, and I think you know you think about the Pac-12 pitchers that are around the uh, around the game. You know, there, you see a lot of strike throwers out of those guys, and and Coach Savage down at UCLA put a good, I'm I'm sure probably put a good word in his head about you know the ability to throw strikes and the importance of getting strike one and those one one counts and. And he's got better stuff than I do, without a doubt. And it's and it's pretty cool to watch him fill up the zone with his stuff and have the confidence uh, that you see every every day he goes out there. And then when he does come off the mound and he's a little disappointed in outings, he's instantly looking for that for that opportunity to get better. It's 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 incredible, and I and I and I. Love his work ethic. It rubs off on all of us. We we all work, you know, just as hard, and and we try to match each other a lot of the time. And it, it's just he brings a new level to the game, and I love it. Let's end on this. Come late August, September, into October, 
we got so many Pac-12 guys on this team. So when college football starts and you got Bowmel and Canner, Cal guys, you got Lowry and Piscotti or Stanford, Caps, UCLA, your Oregon, there's going to be a lot of I, I, there's going to be a lot of fun between you guys in that clubhouse once we get this Pac-12 season going. Oh my gosh! You know what? If there's one sport that I I absolutely love, it's college football. College football is is the best thing. I grew up on it. And uh, I'm 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 really looking forward to having some having some bets with these guys in the clubhouse over some college football because I know I know I'm probably going to lose some lose on some owing guys some wine or something but uh, these guys we all I mean even during the college world series I mean just just Kemp and uh, you know uh, Kemp and Moreland right now are, are are you know talking about the game the game's on in our clubhouse and so it's it's a lot of fun I think college college sports is so is so awesome and um you know the other thing is too is is everyone everyone just loves college sports because that's that's really you know we we look back on our years in college and we we all knew we had a good time and had fun and so I think there's just that mutual respect for each other's universities and stuff too except for except for Stanford you know I can't really stand those guys over there well, I'm looking at, hey, you guys had a good recruiting class, and your first game is going to be September 4th against Fresno State. I don't know. You might you, you might be winning some wine off these guys with your Ducks. Yeah, we, I'm hoping that the Ducks, the Ducks figure out. I don't know what we're doing at quarterback just yet. So that's, that's, my only, that's my only question mark on our squad. I know we're going to have the offensive and defensive lines. We'll be, we'll be locked in. Well, hey, it's always a treat to talk to you, and watching it twice get close to that CG, I think you're going to get one this year, but you've been throwing the ball great. Keep it up, and we can't wait to see it down on the field on Friday. Yeah, awesome. Can't wait to meet you in person, and thanks for having me on. Mike, how are you? Tony, I'm great. It is good to be with you, as always. We need bullpen help. Can you make that happen? (laughs) What do you want? What can I get you? I need a couple right Who can hand- I get you? I need a couple right handers that throw a hundred miles an hour. Whew, that's a little bit of a stiffer test trying to find the hundred mile an hour guys that might be available. Let's see. If the Phillies slip, um maybe it would cost a lot because he's controllable, but Connor Brogdon? been up and down a little bit. I don't know. It's tough to find the 100-mile-an-hour guys. It's relatively easy to find bullpen help, I think. Okay, I'll drop, um, I'll drop, I'll it, drop down to 96-97. <laughs> There's a lot of guys that will throw 92 who will be available. Does that interest <laughs> you at all? No, we got those guys. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like, – you know, the thing is, is that the bullpen help, for me, with the, with the, the A's – more of it is from a depth standpoint, I think. Um, you know, especially with you – know, it certainly sounded like the last time I talked to Bob Melvin that they were pretty optimistic about Trevor Rosenthal coming back and contributing before the end of the year. There'd be your guy that theoretically could throw 100, right? So that would help. Um, so I think certainly that's something that's easy for them to add. I do think that there's actually some offensive depth issues with the team that, that they could address. And that, to me, would be a more glaring concern – um, that not, not that I should say it's a huge worry, but I think to me it would be a bigger deal than you know trying to get a high end reliever more than getting somebody that can uh, help. Is it safe to say 
that the bottom line in the American League, nobody's a complete team. When you look up and down, where the you know the White Sox have slipped a little, a little bit lately, mm-hmm. Boston's come back as Tampa's fallen a little bit. Everybody's panicking in New York, obviously. But it just seems like even the Astros have struggled lately uh, and just lost two straight at home to Baltimore. Is it just safe to say there's not a complete team in the American League? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great point, and I think it's absolutely true. Houston might be the closest, but you know, like their bullpen concerns to me are more significant than like what the A's have. Um, so that's an issue. You know, the White Sox have some serious offensive issues with three regulars that are on the injured list, and while Luis Robert and 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 Eloy Jimenez are both playing, you know, at the complex now and being able to get back into to some semblance of game action. They're still a ways away, and they're going to be without Mick Madrigal the, the entirety of the, the rest of the season. So there are issues there. Their bullpen hasn't been great. Um, you know, I think that there are some questions about offensive consistency with the Rays, although they certainly have a ton of pitching depth. The Red Sox have Red Sox have some bullpen issues and a fifth starter issue, although Chris Sale may alleviate some of that. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's nobody that's a complete team. It is wide open in the sense that you can if you can get to the tournament you're in good shape but there's really only what six or seven teams that you feel like have a very good chance of getting to the tournament you know i think in the end one of those east teams that's in third or fourth either the blue jays or the yankees by the time we get to you know july 25th is probably going to be too far outside of the 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 wild card race you know, to, to really be within shouting distance and if that's the case, then you're really dealing with like four teams for two spots in a lot of respects, or you know three spots if you want to consider you know, the A's and the Astros. I think will be fairly close. So that that to me is a is kind of one of the things that I, I look at with this too is that there's there are lines of delineation in there, but you're right that nobody is perfect. You know, guys coming back from Tommy John, we've seen it so much, and the guy that we got going tonight, Chris Bassett. These guys have mm-hmm. setbacks, and then they start to worry. It's just, it's not as easy as, hey, have the surgery, get a new arm. But you bring up Chris Sale. If Chris Sale is able to come back and be in that rotation and be somewhat like Chris Sale, wow, that, that is huge for the Boston Red Sox. Well, yeah, because the rotation has been, you know, I don't want to say great, but it's been pretty good. It's been middle of the pack. Their bullpen has actually been very good this year. Um, statistically, although I, I think they could still use a little bit of help there. But but they're just kind of like a middle-of-the-path rotation with a glaring hole in the fifth spot because Garrett Richards hasn't pitched well. And so, like, that to me is just, even if it's not, you know, vintage Chris Sale, if it's pretty good Chris Sale, I think it's a huge upgrade for that spot. And that's something to keep in mind, too, is, and, and I think this applies to every team, every fan wants that big move that's going to really get you jazzed about the pennant race. But incremental improvements can help a lot. And even if it's just a depth move, you know, one of my favorites is I covered the 2005 White Sox, and they they were kind of scuffling in the second half after a fast start. And that team, the only move that they made of the the deadline was acquiring Jeff Blum in a trade, right? Blummer. They ended up winning the division. They ended up winning the World Series. Blum, there's a statue of him now outside. <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed Ray Morgan Field for the, the home run he hit in the 14th inning 
of Game 3 of that World Series. But, but I think it just kind of speaks to, as much as we want to see the sexiest move, just making your roster better and deeper, I think is really important for any of those contending teams. Yeah, I mean, it's at this time of the year, I mean, you'd like a flashy position player, but what you really need is bullpen help because starters don't go deep in the postseason. But the problem is everybody wants the same thing. So then it becomes, what what kind of market are we going to have? Is there going to be more sellers or are there going to be more buyers? I think that there are going to be more sellers than buyers this year. I think that's the way it's lining up. You know, really the only team that has been aggressively taking calls has probably been the Diamondbacks to this point. I think Pittsburgh joins that pretty quickly because they have two really intriguing guys in Adam Frazier, who's having a terrific year as their second baseman, and Richard Rodriguez, who is a pretty good bullpen arm and a guy who throws hard and might fit that mold of the guys you were talking about. So, I think those are the teams that are probably most likely to move players quicker. Um, But I do think that there are a lot of other teams that are going to be in the mix in those discussions as well. And there just aren't that many teams in the end that are going to be competing for postseason berths. So I guess that makes it a little bit more of a buyer's market in that sense. And maybe it makes sense for some buyer to try and jump the, the rest of the field. And, Generally, that team's been the A's, right? Like, there's plenty of times that the A's have been the first ones out of the chute to make a move. And, you know, it's always real quiet. They do a good job of keeping things close to the vest. I'd love to see them be the first one out of the chute again. Because, as you know, it's a good enough team to win. They need some reinforcements in some spots. And maybe it's not quite as deep in terms of, like, overall high-end talent as it was a year ago. But it's a team that has a chance to not just go to the playoffs, but potentially the World Series. Well, speaking of our Diamondbacks, as Tori Lovello, former Oakland A, we've been living and dying with, with, with all of these losses on the road. But Commander Cody is a little bit upset. Cody, um, will you tell Mr. Farron how upset you are? I mean, we, we, we send you a text on congratulations that the, the, the losing streak's over and you, you, you ghost us. I mean, we're popping champagne. I did. Yeah, I did. I ghosted you. Because there's nothing like being congratulated on having your team snap a 24-game losing streak. <laughs> that was, I mean, ha- I mean, what, what? I don't know what that. What was it you like? You thought it was rough. You didn't have to live it. <laughs> <laughs> after every single game, I mean, if I was coming on after those games, I'd be. I, I mean, you'd have to talk me off the ledge. Let, let me give you. This is this is the thing that's maybe the most incredible about this. They just wrapped up a three and 24 June, right? Which is the worst month in the history of baseball, I think regardless of what month it is. At one point, they won a game against Washington uh, homestand in May and put them at 18-22, and 22, which is a great record. And, you know, they started their first 28 games over 500, but you're quarter way through the season, and you're like, well, you know, you're not without hope at four games under, right? They've won four games since then. And it's really been remarkable because this team, from a talent level, should not be this bad. But for whatever reason, it's something different every night. One night it's the starting pitching, the next night it's the offense, the next night it's the defense, the next night it's the base running. It's just they've never been able to think up consistently a good starting pitching with a good offensive performance, um, you know, a good defensive performance, everything that they need to win a game. And it, it's it's been really tough because of that, because it's just like you feel like the you're – 
you're flipping heads or, or tails, and it keeps coming up tails every single time. Like, you just cannot get past it. It's, it's unbelievable what, what has happened through the first 82 games this year. It's 60 losses. That's it's remarkable. Well, and we, you know, we Tori always comes on with us. He always uh, gets on Google Meets with us. Uh, he's the only manager that does that. He's become a friend of the program. He is, I mean, he's a good manager. I, I hope he's not on the hot seat because, and I know with all the losing, but I, I think he's a really good manager. And I think Arizona, if they were to part ways with him, they would not be better for it. I agree with you. I am a I am a big Tori Lovello fan, and and a lot of it is because I just think he's he's exactly the kind of person that you want to work for, right? Like he's the kind of person you want to have as your boss. He has a high level of care about the people that he is around. Um, he you know he, he expects you to perform well, um, and he has expectations for you. And he's not afraid to call you out if you don't meet those. But I think he really is, you know, he wants that kind of effort and expects the effort. And listen, effort hasn't been the issue with the team that they have been trying. It's not like they've been getting blown out on a nightly basis. It's a lot of one-run, two-run losses, too. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think there are a couple things that, that just factor into their long-term with him. One, he's not under contract beyond this year, which makes it a little bit difficult. Two, he's got an extremely close relationship with Mike Hayes and the general manager. They are close friends, you know, off the field as well. And so I think that's a real positive for him in it. But it, it's just been, like, I, you know, I've seen him wear it more this year than in any previous year. And that, that really pains me because I care about Tori. Um, and so, like, it's just, it's rough to watch him go through it. And really, it's rough to watch players go through it. I mean, listen, kind of, you know, voter, right? Like, yeah. even votes, like, one of everybody's favorite people, right? And just like talking to him about it, and like just like he's like, listen, it's not like we haven't en- don't have energy, and we're not trying. He's like, it's just incredible that it keeps happening. He's like, there's no way that this should be going on, and they, these guys are bringing energy and, and effort every night, and it's just not you know the execution isn't there, and you know maybe to some degree the talent level isn't there. So the Dodgers are starting to put it together, obviously, and their bullpen's been – I mean, once their bullpen starts rolling, is this the time you think the Dodgers track down the Giants? Um, that's a good question. So one thing that I've been kind of watching with the Dodgers that I think is interesting, I, I think they have some, some questions about the depth of their rotation, um, but they haven't really had multiple guys out at one time, right, where they've been tested. I do think – one of the things that tests them is their position player depth. You know, Seager is out and not back yet, and they've had they've had a number of injuries through there, and they don't have guys like Jock Peterson and Kike Hernandez who they had a season ago, you know, or for years before that. And so they're a little thinner in that regard. So I kind of keep waiting for them to take control of the division and feel like they're, you know, they're the team that should take control of the division. But I'm not entirely sure it's going to happen. And I'll tell you what, you know, I'm going to see the Giants again this weekend. This will be the third time I've had a chance to see them. I like their team. Like, I think I think they have some bullpen issues for sure. But it's a really good rotation. And I think Dave Kapler has evolved significantly as a manager in his ability to deploy his offensive players in a manner that puts them in the best position to succeed. And it seems like they have... You know, there are some teams where you always feel like you're either a left-handed or right-handed bat short, just kind of depending on the situation. 
And to me, they always seem like they have a team that has the right guy to come up in the biggest spot that gives them the best advantage. And, and I don't think that's just luck. I think some of that is, is the construction of the roster. And I just think that they're, I think they're a better team than people realize. And they're going to be in that mix with L.A. and San Diego to the end. Well, my favorite show, The Power Alley on XM89. You can hear Mike Farron and Jim Duquette. Uh, last question, did Jim ever get, now that Steve Cohen, the rich guy owning the Mets, did he ever get his Gucci loafers that he was once promised by the New York Mets? Oh, no, there's no chance because the Wilpons weren't going to pay up. <laughs> that was one of the best stories. Like, hey, wait a minute, Steve Phillips got yeah. the Gucci loafers. Why don't I get the Gucci loafers? Yeah, yeah, he's still waiting. On it. He's going <laughs> to wait forever on those Gucci loafers. Well, and I, then, like, he's—I can see him like getting knockouts, knockoffs. You know what I mean? Like, and showing up at the All-Star game wearing these and being just like an embarrassment for all. Of them. <laughs> that would be incredible. Well, we can't wait to see you, buddy. Hopefully, it will be soon. Knock on wood, man. Miss you. Be well, my friend. You too. Is it true, Commander Cody, we have finally been able to connect with Shooty Babbitt? He has left the bushes, and he's back here in Oakland ready to rock. Shooty, how are you? Tony, I am doing fantastic. If you just pay attention to the news and see how difficult travel is for a lot of people, and um, thank goodness uh, I have not one thing to complain about. I got a chance to go see some good baseball, uh, fortify a whole lot of – um, work that we've been putting in and man it, it's just good it's a great time of the year uh, guys cliques are broken the leather's popping on the glove um, and baseball is in full effect right now and we know talking to David Force that he is starting to engage in conversations with other organizations you are out in the bushes uh, tell us what this time of the year is like to where you kind of have an idea who your partners, who the buyers, who the sellers are, and it's like your job to go out and kind of look at other organizations and and report back saying guys you like and guys you don't like, correct? Well, typically the season for the minor league started eight, April 1st, but this year was pushed back to May 1st um, because of the things that have happened um, in the pandemic. But when they said play ball May 1st, you know, we were all in four-point stands and we were ready to charge the line. Uh, and, and that's what we've been doing. Uh, spring training, a lot of people uh, do a lot of different things during those times. A lot of times relationships and uh, conversations are built in those type of arenas. You never know where it might take place. But identification, understanding rosters, understanding where teams' directions going at that point matters a lot right now because if you paid attention to the type of fruit that's on their tree, you'll know what is right to be picked right now. And I think it all comes from how you plow in the garden and how you water and how you get it ready and just be ready to pick your fruit because you know what the right ones are. I think uh, how much baseball you have seen over the years, did you notice any rust on some of these players who essentially didn't play for almost a year and a half? I think that because we're in uncharted waters, uh, a lot of things you have to base um, is their body of work, if they have a history. If we're talking about a young player, now a kid that was probably 23, you may have to pay a little more attention and 
give them a mulligan for a year. It's kind of like a high school kid, if you will, for me to, or a college kid that's getting a chance to go back and, and, and play as that age would, would have allowed them if they were that age at this time. So um, I, I just think you have to pay attention to detail. I think work ethic. I think uh, history. I think relationships. I think numbers. I think uh, it's so many things going to play. I mean, just scout people. You see people, they see in a sense, oh, man, I wish I had your do- job. Um, let me tell you something. I thank God every day for the job that I have. But don't think that I'm just sitting up here working on my tan and see how chocolatey I can look at the end of the day. I'm sitting up here paying attention to everything that's going on around me because the best scouts, in my opinion, have great ears and great eyes. And as long as you can do that as a scout, there's a lot to be learned. Just, you know, in the end, how great is it to see these young men back doing what they do? It's, it's, it's like they got their career taken away from them. And when, when you lose it for a year and a half – it's got to be so tough because so many of these guys, they weren't at the alternate site. So they had to figure out a way to stay in shape, a way to keep working out together. Just speak to just how great it was traveling around the country and seeing these young men getting their careers back. John, you know, <clears throat> I'm a baseball man. So, uh, and if anybody disagrees, you know, I arm wrestle you about it. I mean, that's just, that's, I've been doing this all my life and I've been so blessed to be able to, to live my entire life doing something that I like to do. When I look at these young men, I think about back in the day when during the off season, we had to work at the mall. We had to do whatever we had to do to make ends meet until the season came the next time. Uh, it's taken away from you at that time. And the one thing that you have to do is everything you possibly can to get ready because you know the opportunity is going to present itself in the next season. Everything that happens bad is not, always bad there's a lot of good that could come out of it on um, these young men um, who had the benefit of having a lot of things that a lot of guys did not have to their um, advantage to get them that opportunity no matter who you were whatever your social status your skill set whatever your accomplishments were it was taken away from everybody on this earth and if you didn't take notice of what you had and what you would cherish if you got another opportunity to have that's what I saw on the faces of those young kids out there working, having a great time, the camaraderie. You see guys on the field all the time, man. It's, uh, it, 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 it was good to see for sure. You know, I think of all the great young talent that we're seeing in baseball, just tremendous athletes. Are you seeing a lot of that when you're out there scouting in the minor leagues, some just unbelievable athletes? You know, County. I can't sit up here and say that I'm seeing incredible athletes because when you do, when you see a C.J. Abrams, who was a number one draft pick for the San Diego Padres, and you watch the things that he do, because it all depends on what you consider an incredible athlete is. When I sit there, and it was an old great scout that worked for the A's, the uh, Cardinals, he's an advanced scout for a long time. His son works for the A's now. Uh, And... He would always say, he says, Shooty, and his name was Joe Sparks. He would say, Shooty, those good players, those great players, those guys that have a chance to be really good, they make you say, Wow. And when you see those guys, when you see that swing, when you see that great body, when you see those guys can slow the game down at an early age, normally you see two or three of those guys possibly on a ball club. 
But the game is not just flooded with those kind of players. That's why it's so great when a ball club drafts a kid, gets an opportunity to develop this guy around the game. No, everybody on the team can't be stars. We need the games to be played. They need to be competitive. These are the guys that give those guys a chance to be great because go up a level each year, have success, get your game tested against age, more competitive skill. And then when you get there, you know you belong there. So when you get them, when you get the Chapmans of the world, when you get the Olsons of the world, when you develop these guys in your system and they make it, man, they're special. There's a lot that goes in it. So you got to sign a thousand of them to get a great one, man. And you know, that's not always the answer. So, uh, I, I have nothing but respect for the people that work in the game and do everything that they do to try to develop these kids, to try to acquire these guys, because, man, you know, if it was just a no-brainer, you know, the Anaheim Angels wouldn't have got Mike Trout. The Oakland A's wouldn't have uh, got a Ricky Henderson. I mean, because it's a lot that goes in it, bro. So, um but to answer your question in short, I've seen a few, uh, but not those great athletes that you're talking about. You know, when I, when I think about our postgame show and people will call up and go, oh, the A's need to get pitching. Well, yeah, everybody needs pitching at this time of the year. It, it's not as easy as you think. Just talk about, you know, relievers are big keys at the deadline, no question. But every, every, everybody, all the buyers pretty much want the same thing. Yeah, and you know, I have my, <clears throat> excuse me, my own opinion uh, on the pitching side of things and how the game is evolving with pitchers and stuff right now, and I think it's great. Uh, but when you live in, in an era right now when we're in a relievers uh, type of world, when pitchers commonly don't go five innings, and when they do, I mean, it's like almost they're getting tackled when they get to the dugout because it's like this great achievement. So the strain on the bullpen is so bad and typically guys that are in the bullpen is because they cannot start because no one has guys sitting in the bullpen that could be starting for that club. So typically that guy has command issues. He doesn't have uh, a, a whole repertoire of pitches or he can't pitch. He's more or less a thrower. And typically these guys just throw their arms out. So you know what's happening right now, all of that throwing and everything and not being able to uh, do the things that they've been able to do with the baseball on a throwing side of it, County. It's like a curveball. Uh, it's been the most incredible conversation I've had with so many pitchers. I'm a hitter to the bone. I tell Stu all the time, I just started liking you, brother. So just, <laughs> <laughs> you, guys, you guys are so smart. Let me ask you something. Can you teach a guy how to throw a curveball? Of course. And they'll say, a lot of them will say, yeah. I said, well, how come more of them don't throw it? And they said, well, it's because they can't. No, 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 no. I always felt that you were born with the ability to grip that baseball and it was built in your wrist and to be able to spin the baseball. You have to be able to spin, and it's a natural gift. We weren't all supposed to be born the same to be able to do all the same things. That's what makes the game of baseball so great in other sports as well. So now God's going to have to learn how to pitch, man. You, you, you can't overpower power life. Sooner or later, you're going to come up short. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, yeah, I, mean, amazing. I mean, at this level, everybody's looking for guys that 
are all very similar where they're all big guys coming to that bullpen shooting and they're all throwing 100 miles an hour. Well, but guess what? Because of the emphasis on bullpen pitching and uh, developing guys to throw one and two innings, there will always be a conglomeration of them all over the place. Now the, the challenge of organizations of finding guys that were starters, guys that had success somewhere else that may go to another uh, place, guys that are pitching well at the AAA level that you could ride that wave until that wave flattened out. So it's um, creativity, understanding what's out there, knowing rosters and players is more important than anything right now because, like you said, everybody's looking for the same thing, Tony. Um, how much homework and how much you know these guys and how much dreaming can you make come true right now is going to be key. Well, and, and let's end on this because I try and tell people that so many of these guys are not being given an opportunity to ha have a chance to go deep in games down in the minor leagues. So when you see like a, a hot shot prospect and he's starting every five days, talk about the limit that is on them. They're not allowed to go deep into games. Well, I think the special ones um, do because what happens uh, – those guys that pitch every fifth day, and you know that, uh, they're not uh, high-volume innings. They're not high-pitch at bat. These guys go out there, get their work in. They know how to pitch the contact. They know when to execute their secondary. They have a feel for pitching. They have an idea of how to go out and execute a game plan, and they're special. So when you start talking about the maximization on their arm, uh, you, you don't have to worry about that. That's what makes those guys so special. And I, I You know, I am what I am, and I was rooted, you know, with the Atlanta Braves as a scout, and I was so blessed to come up as a scout watching Glavin, Maddox, and Smoltz. And I knew you've probably heard me say that a zillion times, but for me, that's the gospel. And I watched three guys just carve guys up right into the Hall of Fame until one guy said, okay, I'll take mine down to the bullpen to become a Hall of Fame closer as well. So if I'm going to mirror myself after something that is great, and can create longevity. I don't know why they're not those type of videos and that type of talk all over baseball because as far as I know, Tony, back in the day, if you pitch down in the strike zone, a hitter can't do anything but hit the ball on the ground or in the hole. But if you miss up in the zone, that was a mistake and you would pay the price. Establish a reasonable strike zone. Make pitchers pitch reasonably in the zone. If they execute a pitch, I don't care who you are. As far as certain pitches, you cannot do it. So that brings trickeration. That brings creativity. That brings activity. And that brings more curiosity in the game and more excitement. So until you get these guys out the stretch, and every pitch that they throw, one, two, three, let me show you the ball to you. I mean, come on, man. Hey, like, really? Hey, Mark DeRosa recently said on MLB Network when he was playing with the Braves, he said when you would see Leo Mazzoni and he's coming back from the bullpen with either Maddox, Glavin, or Smoltz, and they'd have a towel around, around their shoulder, he's like, He's like, man, this is the big leagues. You know when you were going out to battle and you had one of those guys, you're like, it doesn't get any better than this. Yeah, I mean, this is the show when, when you're ready to prepare to go to battle with like a Greg Maddox or, or a John Smoltz. 
bottom line, man. I mean, just true winners. Um, and it's something that you just love to watch. I mean, you're talking about poetry in motion. Okay, people gave Eric Gregg a tough time about his horrendous strike zone, uh, rightfully so. But you know what? He established himself to be bad. And you know what Tom Glavitt did? Pitched to that bad umpire strike zone. And it was just, just the way you do it. So um, that's how the game used to be. Uh, I, I, I know it's different now, but so many changes have changed things. And if it's, if it's for the better, I'm all for it. But you tell me, you know, if what, what, is, what has changed pitching so much that's made it better than what it was, man? I, I just – I don't know, bro. It, 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 it. So we are in a reliever um, game right now. And look here, it's last man standing, bro. Hey, uh, when, when are we going to see you on TV? Uh, Friday. Can't wait. Can't wait to see those suits. <laughs> hey, buddy, it's always great to have you on the program. Can't wait to see you tonight. County, always an honor to be on, man. Go. Let's go, Oakland. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he's one of uh, one of our all-time favorites uh, with the A's and covering the athletics and Major League Baseball for the USA Today. Bob Nightingale is with us. Bob, how is life treating you? Yeah, doing great. Thanks, Chris. What is it like for you to be back out on the road? I know you recently were just down in San Diego. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been nice. I mean, the uh, the, the airport, airports are just absolutely packed. Uh, it's like everybody's making up for lost time now and wanting to uh, have, have fun again. <laughs> but it's, it's been unbelievable. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Were you down there for uh, Padres-Dodgers? I was, yeah, all, all three of those games, yep. Do you put that up there right now as the top rivalry in baseball? Well, I, I don't just because it's been so one-sided, you know, over over the years. I mean, Padres have never won a World Series. You know, they, you know Dodgers eight straight division titles. Uh, so not yet. It's got a chance. You know, I'm, I'm not saying it's better than Dodger Giant. You know, that, you know that's such a historic, historic thing, particularly, uh, you know, Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs, Cardinals. I don't put it quite there yet, but it's, it's the newest thing. So it's it's fun to it's fun to see. Well, yeah, I would agree. I mean, you weren't you're not going to match the history of all these other teams, especially teams that have been around forever, like Cardinals, Cubs, and you mentioned Yankees and Red Sox, Dodger Giants. But as of right now, where we are, when you talk about the action in the ballpark and like Fernando Tatis, and now they're wearing the chain, the big chain with the. Uh, I mean, you got a lot going on in that rival. It, it, it's become really fun. It's like so modern day baseball of let the kids play. Yeah, I mean, uh, they love, a lot of swagger, particularly you know when you talk about you know, Mach, you know Machado, Tatis, uh, a lot of young players. Uh, they show a lot of emotion, and of course, you know, cool ballpark. You know, right, you know, right downtown, but you know, Timmins from the airport. Uh, all the uh, new condos going up there, so it is fun, and I think it's a. Uh, and these guys, uh, you know, you know, like the one thing about the San Francisco uh, Dodger rivalry is that people in uh, you know people in LA and they like they like San Francisco. People in LA like San Diego, and as much as people in San Francisco don't like LA, they're just sheer sheer hatred between the people that live in San Diego toward LA. I mean, they won't even buy L.A. products. They want nothing to do with the city. They just they, they despise them. So that makes the rivalry good, too. Well, that you know, that's a funny thing about 
big city versus little city when you talk. And I'm not saying St. Louis is a little city, but every year we'll go over to Sloan Park for the Cubs in spring training. And I remember I was in an Uber and outside they're selling T-shirts and they're just ripping St. Louis like they're just a bunch of hicks. And that, whether either one is good or either one is bad, there truly is just hatred between the Cardinals and the Cubs. There, you know, there really is. It's only like a uh, about a four and a half hour train ride away. Uh, I think people in St. Louis used to, uh, you know, mock the Cubs because they can never win. It was just a, a fun team, fun uh, town to party in and go watch a game and drink beer and stuff like that. And they never, you know, people in St. Louis never thought the Cubs fans took the game seriously. Where in St. Louis, I mean, shoot, I bet 90% of fans are keeping score and everything else. And they are serious fans. I mean, they... I know they, uh, people frown on when they say this, but it's true. And those are the most diehard baseball fans in the country. Well, another great article you put out, USA Today, and talking about former big leaguer uh, David Segui, talking about the whole spider tack and these these now these new glues that they have established means that this is actually what's been going on in baseball with pitchers is worse than the steroid era. I went, wow, that's a big claim. Are you buying that? Well, I, the reason I, I, I buy what he says in the context, as uh, David Sakee said, that, hey, you know, there's so many of us that were using steroids, but there was only one Barry Bonds. Uh, with everybody cheating in, uh, among the pitchers, it's like the, the average strikeout rate was the same as, you know, Nolan Ryan days. So everybody all of a sudden was, you know, was Nolan Ryan or Randy Johnson, uh, if those guys were using the stuff these guys are using today, they might have been striking out 25 guys again. Yeah, but, I mean, I think the thing we found out from our guy Jose Canseco, which uh, Jose always seems to have some, uh, is, is right in some ways, is that it just wasn't the hitters using steroids. Bob, it was everybody in the game was using steroids. Not everybody, but a lot of people were, both pitchers and hitters. Oh, I agree. I, I think maybe, you know, maybe 50% of baseball. Uh, yeah, pitchers are using it too. You know, more, I think more sluggers or hitters than, than pitchers, but pitchers were guilty as well. Uh, in this case, I, I think it might have been 85, 90% of guys using stuff. I mean, it was just way out of control. So when we start looking towards the deadline and we look at the Oakland Athletics, obviously there's going to be a lot of teams looking for arms in the bullpen. Are we going to have more buyers than sellers? Or is as this thing starts to get closer to the deadline, we're starting to see more teams drop off. Are there going to be more sellers than we think? I think there may be more sellers just because, uh, you know, now we're back to the 2019 rules where, you know, you only have the two wild card teams. So a lot of teams will say, you know, hey, you know what, we're not going to make it. Let's sell off. Uh, the one thing to keep in mind, too, is because, you know, all these teams lost money and stuff and people are still kind of crying poor. I think there'll be more activity after July 31st, maybe, or after July 30th in August. And I think a ton of these guys will clear waivers. So when you think about big-name guys, offensive players, who do you think can be moved because there's, you know, all the speculation of oh, this guy could go here, this guy could go there. Some of the guys may not be moved. Out of the big names, who do you think will be moved? Well, I think the Rockies have no choice but to move Trevor's story. Now, they've got to make sure they get something better than a, a top draft pick for him because that's what they'll get, you know, by giving him a qualifying offer and, 
and he'll reject it. Uh, so I, I think he's probably the number one guy. If the Nationals fell apart, all of a sudden Kyle Schwarber is very appealing for a lot of teams. Uh, but with the National League East, I'm not sure that happens. You know, I don't think it'd be a star set of group. I, you know, like you said, uh, I think there'd be a lot of uh, relievers. Everybody seems like they need relievers. So I, I think those guys could go. You could almost pick any team uh, out of contention in their closers uh, will go. Uh, you know, the top guy out there, if the Cubs uh, completely fall, this would be Craig Kimbrell, who's pitching now as well as he has uh, in a few years. You know, speaking of Schwarber, Cody and I were joking earlier where he's like, oh, my God, look at the run he's on. And I just – the problem, Bob, is whenever we've seen something that's too good to be true, the, the speculation is there. And I'll take it out of baseball. It was like Lance Armstrong. Oh, his heart is bigger. He pumps more blood. I mean, all this kind of stuff. And in the end, you, you realize what I was watching wasn't real. Now, Schwarber has hit 15 home runs in 17 games. The only other guys to do that – are Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa, 2001, 1998, and we knew what those guys were doing. How do we feel about what Schwarber's doing right now when you're comparing him to Bonds and Sosa, who are clearly using at the time? Well, yeah, I mean, then you're, you start saying, well, this is better than Bonds and Sosa because this guy you know, is clean. But, you know, like you said, Chris, I mean, who, who knows, you know, what's happening? Uh, you know, a lot of these guys are bigger and stronger. I mean, you know, <laughs> you look at a guy – uh, you know, there's no evidence or even rumors, but even a guy like Otani, you know, what he's doing at the plate in, in the mound, it's like, how's he able to do that? But that's, you know, the fortune the age that we live in. Sometimes it's just too good, too good to be true. When you watch him, you know, throwing 100 miles an hour and hitting mammoth home runs, and the way this man runs at his size, have you ever seen a better talent in your career than Shohei Otani? Yeah, just such a natural talent. You know, I, mean, I, cover, I you know, got to cover Bo Jackson when he came up when I was covering the Royals. Uh, you know, he was by far the best athlete I've covered, uh, for sure. And uh, but yeah, I mean, when you look at Otani, I mean, he's you know he's got more power uh, than, than Mike Trout. He's certainly faster than Mike Trout, uh, better outfielder than Mike Trout. We've said forever now that Mike Trout's the best player in baseball. So what he's doing both ways. Uh, it is stunning. You know, I think at some point, I'm not sure if he can keep doing, you know, keep doing the pitching wise. Uh, maybe it's just make him an everyday outfielder, or maybe an everyday center fielder. But right now, I'm mean, at the MVP race, uh, MVP vote. Uh, he may be unanimous. You know, what's so funny, Bob, is I was saying that a while ago because we get to see the Angels so much, and the way that they do their pitching staff around him. And it can be a six-man staff, and then sometimes they've even pushed him back. I'm like, what's the value of a guy that doesn't take the ball every five days and doesn't give you a lot of innings, and it causes you at times to give him days off, and really his best asset is being in the lineup every single day. Like, what do you do? We thought about maybe you move him to the bullpen. I just all The one thing that I know, and tell me if you agree, if I'm Joe Madden, I'm seeing his main value is hitting every single day. Yeah, and I think it will come down to that, Chris. Uh, you know, certainly not this year, maybe not next year, but I think eventually it comes down. You want this guy in the lineup every day, and they've been running him out there. Uh, yeah, we'll, let's see what happens to his body the second half of the season, whether you know fatigue starts to kick in or not. Obviously, he's still a young guy, 
but you know, there's a lot of lot of wear and tear. Uh, I I can't say uh, I can't see the reliever part because I don't know how you how you do it. I mean, you can't be in a game and then go to the bullpen and warm still warm up between innings. I, I don't, so I don't know how that would uh, work. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a uh, a fun show. Obviously, you know, we haven't seen a uh, a two way guy like this, you know, since since since, since Babe Ruth. You know, you know, the stories we read about. Uh, you know, Kent Brett was a great, very good uh, offensive hitting pitcher, but you know, the, but to do this and plus with the speed and everything else, and uh, you know, kind of, well, interviewed him a couple of times. He just a very, comes across a very genuine, nice guy. You know, when I start thinking about Bo Jackson and knowing what he was as a football player. Uh, you know, working for the Raiders, there were like these legendary stories, Bob, about how Al Davis would not tell anybody when the baseball season was over, just this guy would show up for practice in the backfield going up against the number one defense, which was a Super Bowl winning defense. And this guy's running all over them. And they're like, who is this guy? And then they realize, oh, it's Bo Jackson. When you really look at what he could have been as a football player and what he could have been as a baseball player full time. I don't know if we've ever seen just a pure athlete as good as Bo Jackson. And, and you know, we, we've talked to Mark Gubazaw about it. Gooby's like, this guy did things. No, I mean, you got, you got George Brett, one of the greatest players of all time. And George Brett will tell you, this guy did stuff we've never seen before. How good of a baseball player do you think Bo Jackson would have been if he wouldn't have got hurt and never played football? I, mean, I think he would have been you know, a, a perennial all-star. I'm not sure about a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's, you know, struck out a lot. Uh, had a ton of power, ton of speed. Uh, in the outfield, he would outrun his mistakes. I mean, you know, you've seen those plays where he's running up the wall. I was at that game. You know, he, he misplayed it. Yeah. I was also at the game where he threw out Harold Reynolds at home plate. Still the best throw I've ever seen, flat-footed from that warning track. But just a uh, – you do wonder how good he – or how great he would have been if he just concentrated on baseball, even his days at Auburn. And, and just did that. But, you know, just stuff he would do in the clubhouse. See, when he would uh, bet guys 10 bucks that I can jump over this table. He'd have his bow and arrow out there. Uh, he said the only thing he couldn't do is play basketball. He said he can't dribble. But, you know, I think he could have been a, uh, you know, an all-American gymnast, all-American swimmer, whatever he wanted to do. Well, Bo knows, right? Isn't that what the commercial was? <laughs> Bo could do anything. Let's... Yeah. It, it, it... Go ahead. Right, yeah. And then, yeah no, he was such an intriguing guy. I remember uh, – Early, and when he was in Kansas City, and this is right after Auburn, he had one of the worst stuttering problems you've heard. You know, it was a, uh, you know, really sad. He went to speech class and stuff. But the reason he always used both is because he could never say the word I. So that's how that was always referring to himself as Bo, because he couldn't say that word without badly stuttering. Wow. But what a career. And too bad we his career ended so soon. Let, let, let's end on this. What's your most surprising good club? And what's your most surprising bad club? Well, certainly right there in the Bay Area with the uh, Giants. Uh, no, nobody saw that coming. I mean, people in spring training thought, well, you know, if they win uh, 75 games, it's a good season. So, uh, yeah, they've stunned everybody. Uh, probably the American League would be the Boston Red Sox. You know, no one saw them sitting in first place right now. Uh, disappointing. I still got to go to Minnesota Twins. I mean, as bad as the Arizona Diamondbacks are, uh, they had the Twins won the last, you know, three uh, division titles, American League Central, and were built to win again. So I don't, I didn't see it. No, nobody saw them just completely collapsing like they have. 
Well, we always appreciate your time, and you know we're always reading you in the USA Today. Be well, my friend, and let's talk soon. All right, my pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Panic. Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. That's right. Two-time everything. How you doing, Ray? I'm, oh, Jesus, loud. Uh, I'm fine. How you doing, buddy? Uh, when are they going to start winning in division? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Because um, that's really, if you look at, like, the standings and you look at, you know, what's the problem? I mean, they're over 500 against the East. Yeah. They've dominated the Central. But they're under 500 against the West. Uh, and that's not good considering you're going to play them a whole bunch of times. Yes. You know? Um no, I, I I really don't know. I I just think that uh, you know Fulton Evich was good last night, but you know the, giving up the home run to Solak late when you're within one run, um, and my my thinking all along has been that if you can have a game in which you're trailing in the ninth inning by one run, facing close, you got a chance to win a game. Win a game, you know, because there's so many things that can happen. But that home run by Solak. Made it a three-run game, and, you know, Ian Kennedy all of a sudden, you know, here's a fastball, hit it, and two guys hit solos, and then once it got close, everything changed, you know. So uh, little things like that, but, um, you know, the one of the things that I was thinking about, Townie, and, you know, it occurs a lot that sometimes, and, and we talk about the, uh, the, the amount of information that is given to everybody, um, I don't know that there are a lot of people who actually watch the hitter swings. Now, you as a pitcher, you know, you could watch a hitter swing. You could, you, could you watch where he stands in the box. Yeah, but, but is he up? Is he back? Yeah. Is he? But all those things, I think, because of the scouting reports, I think you're you're lacking those things. Now, I, I said it when the A's played the Rangers in Arlington, and I said it last night. There's a particular player I won't mention him, but he has trouble with a high fastball. And, and it's almost like you, you say that. See, w w when I came up, it was that if you proved you could hit the fastball, forget it. You're not going to get it. You're going to get breaking pitches until you could prove you could hit those. Then, you know, it, it's kind of a maturation process to where you have to prove what you can do in certain situations. But, uh, you know, I, I just think that, uh, for example, this one particular guy um, on, on two-strike pitches – they sped up his bat, threw him a slow curveball, double. Uh, another one sped up his bat, throwing him a changeup, double. Both times driving in runs. And, you, you know, if you watch a hitter swing, he can't get around on a fastball. So why don't you stay with a fastball until he proves he can hit it? More than likely he's not, you know, at this level because the scouting reports. But, but I think to the point about, you know, watching a hitter swing, watch where he is in the batter's box, you know, it's funny. We'll have a, a center field shot where um, they'll show the catcher. And what is he doing? He's looking up to see if the catcher's looking back. Well, catcher can't look back and see what's going on. You know, so, you know, if you, if you move too quickly, yeah, you're going, to, you're going to help the hitter. But more times than not, that catcher 
should be looking at the hitter's feet because his feet will tell you what he's going to be trying to do, you know. And, you know, if that left foot, let's say he's a right-hand hitter, that left foot opens up a little bit. He's going to look inside. So you pitch him away. It's like Mark Canna. Mark Canna stands right on the yep. plate, and he's daring you to throw it inside. Right. I would never throw him inside. No, you're, you're right. And, and, you know, I've, I've seen hitters who do that, and, you know, they are doing exactly that. But the thing they can also do is cover about six inches off the plate outside because they are that close to the plate. But, you know, it, it's just a, it's kind of a lost art in a sense. So, you know, getting back to your original question about winning within the division, I think there are little things that occur that when you see teams and you see players over the course of a lot of times, you know, there are tendencies that show up. You know, if you're a hitter, you have a, an idea of how you're going to be pitched, and you have to make those changes. And, and I think, on the other hand, you, you know, you, you need to make changes – whenever you're playing defense and pitching against a certain team. And it's almost like, okay, I throw – my biggest thing is change up, change up. Looks foolish. Throw him a fastball because <laughs> that's what he's looking for. Why not throw him another change up? Oh, he can't do that. Why? He looks silly on two change ups. Do you think he's looking for third change up or breaking pitches and things like that? But it's almost like – they get a couple of strikes on a guy, and it, it forget about how you got to the two strikes. It's like, okay, we got the two strikes. Now let's do something else. Why? You're trying to get him out with as few pitches as possible. So if you got him out on two fastballs on the outside part of the plate, why not go right back? See if you can hit it. So I, I, I just think – there's, there's so much information that is given today that I think it is affecting the game to the point that it's really taken away from a lot of things in the game that, uh, that <laughs> I, I don't know, it, it's just changed. It's really changed to the point of, the, I, I think, the information, which is good stuff. You know, it's good. Tell me what a pitcher throws. But, you know, don't tell me he throws it 40% of the time or 60% of the time. And you're thinking, okay, is this the 60 or the 40? <laughs> you know, you don't want to be thinking like that. You'd just like to know what he throws and maybe what his out pitch is, and let's go get him. I'm worried that pitchers are pitching to the scouting report and not pitching to their own strengths. I agree, 100%. Like, like they're too yeah. concerned. And they also it, – it, it's been proven that they walk more batters – when the shift's on. Yeah. That's one of the dramatic things that – and it was a great article. I can't remember who the guy uh, – Cody, you remember who the guy was from Fangraphs? He, then he went to work for the Mets, and I don't even know if he's still with the Mets. The guy – he they referred to this guy who worked at Fangraphs who proved that the shift as it taketh, it giveth back, oh, yeah. right? So what happens is it's taking away outs – but then again, you're walking more people. When you walk people, runs get scored. Sure. So it really evens itself out. Now all of these GMs will tell you you're crazy. Our data doesn't say that because, you know, I, I always ask, and I've asked David Forrest this, I mean, what's your data say when you the shift gets beat? How yeah. often does that actually happen? Yeah. They don't like talking about that. But, you know, I just wonder how much, you know, are you worried about the scouting report of the player? You're trying to pitch to his weaknesses instead of your strengths. And you may be pitching to the shift. You know, that's a great point because I always said as a catcher, 
what are the strengths of my pitcher. I don't care about the hitter because if my pitcher can pitch the way I know he can, I don't care what the hitter can do. Now, you know, we didn't have all the scouting reports. We didn't have all the videos to show what a guy was going to do in a particular, uh, on a particular pitch. But, you know, so basically in the old school thing, which, again, people don't like to hear it, but, but the bottom line, you, you wanted to know your pitcher's strengths, and you also wanted to know the tendencies of the hitter. So you kind of mix and match along those lines. But, uh, but, but I, I agree with you. I, I think for anybody that tries to do that. Now, one of the things that Bob Melvin said, I, I, this was when the shifts kind of started, and, and there was a particular shift on a player. It was against the Angels. I can't remember who it was. But they shifted him, and he ends up getting an extra base hit, which brought up Albert Pujols which definitely don't want to do that. His comment after, he says, I don't mind the shifts. He said, I just don't like to make a player better because of the shift. So you think about that. You, you think about someone who, that if you play straight up, you pitch accordingly. But like you said, if you're shifting this guy, you're trying to pitch accordingly to the shift, which I don't know that a lot of pitchers can do that. But I just think that it's, it's a different time. The shifts are going to happen. And, you know, one of the worst things is to see a, a ball that is thrown and there's nobody on the right side, and here goes the guy hitting the ball to the right side. Happened last night. Yeah. I can never remember which. I can look at my scorebook. But it happened last night against the A's where if Jed was playing straight up, it would have been an out. No, I remember. It was, it was a ball that was outside. I, I think it was uh, – a right-handed hitter, but it was a breaking ball on two strikes, and I guess they must have thought he was going to roll over on it. Instead, he hits the ball to the right side, opens up. Was it uh, Kiner Falefa? Was that it? No, I don't think no, so. Where, no. where, yeah, so a guy hit the ball yeah, but there last was, night that, that it, it should have been, and usually I put beat shift on here, but <laughs> uh, you know what I put? I put my scorebook. BS. BS. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Beat shift. I, uh, yeah, I know, I know. But you know, you know, I, I think of the uh, from the financial standpoint. You know, you hear uh, the disclaimer at the beginning where the, they'll say, "Past performance does not guarantee future results." You think about a shift. A shift is predicated on what has already happened, right? Right. And and you're hoping that your pitcher can pitch according to where the shift is right now and again if if that is the case then you're trying to pitch away from the uh the pitcher's strengths to go to basically the way your defense is set up well maybe that's not the way your pitcher should pitch or can pitch so you're you're just messing up and and there you go with the walks the number of walks that occur as a result of that yeah, I wonder, you know, if you ask most pitchers, like, how, how do you really feel about it? And you, you wonder if you could actually get into the front offices and see the data. Are you shifting just to shift, or is there really a justification? Yeah. Like, obviously, you take someone like Joey Gallo. If the ball's going to be on the ground, it's probably going to be on the right-hand yeah. side. Yeah. I get that, Yeah. right? But, like, I think that's been, like, the big change. In Matt Olson's game, I mean, we haven't seen it lately, but when Matt Olson got up over to 300, we saw him making that change right. to go to the right side. If you're going to give me that, you know, if you're only going to put one guy 
and 90 feet from third base to second base. He yeah. was taking advantage of that and hitting line drives. Lately, it's looked like he's pulling off the ball. Yeah, well, it's, it's things happen because he plays every day and, and changes, scouting reports change, and so you have to change yourself. And so it's probably because, guys, um, you know, you, you look out and you see the shift, but now all of a sudden you're not getting the same type of pitches to hit in or away from the shift and take the extra base hits or the, the base hits to left field in his particular case with the shift to the right side. But, you know, you're right. Joey Gallo has a swing, and he's going to hit the ball in the air. I mean, it just his swing, he hits the ball to left field, he hits the ball to right center field last night, two home runs. But I, I just think it's um, – I, I don't know. I, I just think the game has changed. What was it? They, they shifted Ted Williams back in the 40s. McCovey. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it was rare. I mean, because guys just didn't – they used the whole field, put it that way. I, I hear they were so afraid of you, they put, like, five guys <laughs> in the outfield. Especially <laughs> when you face Nolan Ryan. Yeah. By the way, going on in New York right now, uh, something like you're, you're like you think you'd ever see this in your lifetime. Shohei Otani is pitching and hitting leadoff against the against the Yankees. Problem is he's already given up three runs in the first. Yeah. And who did we have on? Cody, I was talking about. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a pitcher long term. Bob Nightingale from the USA yeah. Today, and I was like, I mean, if, if you could figure out, but his value is so much better as a guy that's playing every day yeah. versus not playing him every day and worry about him pitching every six days. And like now, you already got somebody warmed up in the bullpen in the first inning. So what happens now? One time, didn't Joe put him in right field when he took him out of a game that yes. he was pitching? But there are other times that he has taken him out and just Then his him bats out. out of the lineup. Exactly. And the yeah. guy's got a bazillion home runs already. And, and, and 28, I think it is. And plus... Plus, the, what, the pitcher goes in that spot uh, because you're, you've, you're not using the DH. So, basically, it's Shohei Otani leading off and pitching. So, he's, he's the leadoff. So, if he's replaced and he doesn't stay in the game, then the pitcher's in the leadoff spot. I, I, if I'm Joe Madden, he's staying in the game. Well, yeah, someplace. He just walked another batter. So he just walked a runner in. It's now 4-2, bases loaded, and here come, we'll see right now. Joe Madden's yeah. going to the bullpen. So Shohei Otani doesn't even get out of the first inning. And, and, and here's the other problem with it, Ray, is you base the whole rotation around him. Sure. Now, he let off. What did he do, what did he do leading off? I, I didn't see. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, so, so he gets one A-B, and – He's coming out of the he's game. He's coming out of the game. So, he's so he, you, just, you just took a guy out of the game in the first inning who's got 28 home runs. Amazing. And playing in Yankee Stadium. Playing in Yankee Stadium. Which for him, the whole any place in the park is, is good for him, but especially in right field, which is short porch. But, so, but, but I, think, I think essentially what happens anytime that spot comes up, it's a pitcher spot. And, and the pitcher who comes in the game – doesn't he have to go into that spot as the leadoff hitter? Correct. Yeah. So, so that's what's happening right now. Yeah. So essentially, that's what, no. But but I agree. And, and maybe as time goes, it, it's going to be exactly that. Where um, what? And the Angels scored two in the first, and they gave up four in the first. Oh, and it's <laughs> not over. Not over. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not yeah. over. Um, 
Yesterday, MLB Now, which is one of my favorite shows, and they John Hart was on with Brian uh, Brian um, Kenny. Kenny. I was about to say Kelly. Brian Kenny, and they had a great episode where they were building the cheapest team possible of good players, and John Hart, the former GM, came with a came with a starting nine that was good players. I think it amounted to like $13.3 million. But what they were saying is finding guys that instead of just looking at home runs, walks, right. finding guys that are good on defense, finding guys who can run the bases, guys that have more of an all-around game. Right. Yeah. It's just not all, hey, let's get a bunch of bombers in there and, and let's see how it works. Yeah. There's something about guys. They may not have the best – I'll do. I'll use the cliche – back of the baseball card. Yeah. But they're winning players. Yeah. They, they, you know, they go first to third. They play good defense. They, they can handle the bat. Talk to that about guys that you played with. I think of Dick Green. Dick Green wasn't going to be right. somebody that you went, wow, look, look at his numbers. But he was a winning player. But, but in a case like Dick Green, and you threw his name out there, Dick Green was great on a team that had Reggie and Rudy and Bando in tennis. So his defensive part of the game – and what he did with the bat offensively at the bottom part. See, when, when I was at Cleveland, I was catching and hitting fourth. I got traded to the Oakland A's, and I was hitting eighth catching in front of Dick Green. And that was it. Because it, it was a matter of those first six or seven guys were the offense. And obviously, they could play defense as well. Great pitching. But... You know, it, it was a matter of a double play combination, and Dick Green could – I mean, Dick Green could hit. He'd hit balls in the second deck during BP, but he just didn't care about hitting. You know, and that's the way he was. But he was a great, great second baseman. What you know? was it? Was it the Dodgers World Series that if he would have just got one, one hit. hit? One hit. His MVP. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the plays that he made, and uh, no, it, it's just tremendous. But you know what? You mentioned John Hart. You think back in the 90s, what he did – I mean, he was – I mean, if everybody could emulate what he did, the game, who knows where it would be right now. But he took a bunch of guys. I mean, it's something that you really have to know your personnel. He obviously did. He knew that that group of guys were going to be arbitration, free agency. They were going into Jacobs Field, a new stadium. And – they were great. I mean, they were winning the division every year, and they were locked up because John Hart knew that their talent level was such that they were going to be good. Just like you said, as a group, they were all good. Not, I mean, individually they were, but nobody stood out individually. Like, you know, Manny Ramirez, for example, or Jim Tomey was on there. A you know? young Manny Ramirez, yeah, yeah. a young right. Jim Tomey. Right. Yeah. Uh, then you'd, like, sprinkle in veterans like – Eddie Murray yeah. and Albert Bell, but they had like Carlos Baerga, right. Kenny Lofton. That was it's amazing that team. I mean, they went to Game Seven with yeah. the Marlins. It's amazing that team never won a World Series. Well, and you're right, and it's it is amazing that they didn't. But I think what John Hart did, a lot of teams have tried to to copy him, but nobody's really been able to do what he did. And he locked those kids up, and they were together for a long time, and that's why they kept winning. Uh, I mean, when you have uh, Roberto Alomar at second and Omar Vizquel at short. That's oh. a pretty good double play combination. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, so yeah, it, it was it was a good good club, and uh, it, you know it just goes to show you how hard it is to win a world championship. That that you can just go through the uh, you you can go through the regular season, and all of a sudden you get in postseason, 
and it's a short series, and you better be on your best game. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes it just doesn't happen where teams do that. Yeah, that's where Brian Kenny was, as, as he's a big sabermetrics sure. guy. He's written his old. Uh, by the way, uh, it's now seven to two Yankees in the first inning over the Angels. Is he? He says he's starting to come around because of guys like John Smoltz who have said to him, "Hey, listen, to win in the postseason." There's these little things that you got to do. So he says, I'm coming around from the standpoint of realizing it's one game. Every single time you play in a series, you have to view, you know, because if Bob Melvin's managing right now, he's got to manage for today. And, you know, we played 17 straight. We have then we've played 16 straight. You have to manage knowing that you got a game, not in the playoffs. You're managing every single game like it's a game seven because you're going to get a day off because of travel and television. So how you manage and how you play in the postseason is different in the regular season when you're playing like 16 out of 17 days. And, you know, Tony, I've always believed that when you get to postseason, you're facing the best teams, the best pitchers, and those those pitchers don't give up a lot of three-run home runs. They don't put guys on base in front of the home run. They may give up solos. But it's a whole different animal when you get to postseason because, you know, you you think about during the regular season, you can lose 10 in a row. You still win the division. (laughs) You try losing in postseason, you lose three in a row, you're going home. You know, in, in, in a division series. As your buddy, uh, the Hawk, would say, he gone. He gone. <laughs> yeah, or, or let's, let's say, you know, you have a, a record in which you have the wild card play in, which the A's are very familiar with that, and, and game five of the division series and all that. But you know what? I think what Mike Sosha did in 2002, he, he had the ability, if he had players that hit, hit home runs, but he also had guys that go first to third. He had Sean Figgins and uh, – and David Eckstein, and, you know, they go first. They even put it in their stat pack number of times they go first to third. They were a great running team. They were running. Yeah. And, but, but I think Mike realized, and maybe as a National League mentality, realized that you're playing for one run instead of sitting back and waiting for the three-run home run all the time because you're just not going to get them in postseason, especially the deeper you go, the better teams you play, the better pitchers you're facing, that you're not going to be given – a, a lot of things you almost have to manufacture, and I think that's what Socha did in '02 for them to win the world championship. Plus, they had some luck in it as well. <laughs> they, they, they were, you know, they, maybe they shouldn't have won Dusty that. Dusty Baker one. flipping that ball, <laughs> Russ Ortiz. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Also, too, <laughs> the old theory about pitching inside in a short porch when Spezio hit the three-run home run down the right field line. You know, why was Benito Santiago away, 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 away? Oh, let's go inside. And it's just like what we talked about at the beginning, where, you, you know, you're facing a guy, and he's trying to do one thing, and that's hit a three-run home run. He's going to react on a pitch inside, but you pitch him away, 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 away. And, you know, so I don't care if he fouls off 10, but he may pop up one to the left side. It's a weak pop-up. Game, you know, innings over. Instead, oh, let's try to sneak a fastball inside. Forget it. You know, it's just a reaction. Boom, three-run home run. Changed the whole game. That was game, what, six, you know, of of the World Series. So, you You know. You you want a good story about that World Series? So, I'm working at KMBR, the giant station. I had gotten an email from our, our program director, and I've kept this email. And it says, 
for once, can you act like a Giants fan? Because I hate it. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't like the Giants. Right? But I'm on the World Series. So yeah. I'm at the World Series. Ralph Barbieri and Bruce McGowan are the late, great Ralph Barbieri. Sure. Um, was really, I know, controversial, but yeah. off the air was a great man. Um, they're down. They're down in Anaheim. Larry Kruger, who's still there, and I were back in San Francisco. So I got this email, and I I still have it. Can you once? So we go. So at it's game one. We're about to throw it to. Uh, was John Miller there then? I don't know if John Miller was uh. there by that point in two thousand two. Whoever we were throwing to, it was like Ted Robinson, uh, Kipe, and Crook, and and so we go around. All right, prediction time. And they go around, and because I'm, I'm actually kind of like hosting it, and I'm like yeah. the point guard, and they finally get to me because you know it's Giants <laughs> at five, Giants <laughs> at six. I'll go Angels in seven. <laughs> uh, On the Giants pregame show, I picked wow. the Angels in seven. <laughs> you know, now I think you know why I didn't. I you yeah. know I only worked there for ten years. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, but that that I mean, just little things, and that just goes to show you right there, just the the little things that can happen in a World Series, to where. You know, I don't know. I mean, you can put odds on who's going to do it and who's going to do whatever. Forget it. You know, throw the odds out the window. Because, you know, in reality, when it comes down to it, I, I really think in postseason, it's the little ball. And people don't like small ball and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, the thing is, if you don't hit and run, you don't sacrifice, you don't squeeze, you don't do a lot of those things regular season, you're not going to do them postseason. Nope. And – because, first of all, you've never done it all season, so why are you going to think about doing it then? So I, I think in, in some cases that certain situations, you, you, you play the regular season like it's postseason. You do things that maybe you shouldn't, and I wouldn't say shouldn't do, but maybe people don't expect you to do them, but you do them. And then all of a sudden you get postseason. We've done that before. You know, we know what that's like. Well, you, you, you know what people understand, you know, when you think about football. Like if you get into a Super Bowl or you get into the playoffs and you're more a running team yeah. and all of a sudden you get down a few scores and now you got to start throwing the ball more that mm -hmm. you're not, you know, now everybody's in shock and throws it. But back right. in the day, if you got down a few scores and they and you're not a great throwing team, you know, you, you get away. So that's the thing. It's like if you're a home run hitting team yeah. and you don't hit home runs in the postseason, right, right. you know, how, how are you going to win? Well, and, and, and again, I think home runs are hit on mistake pitches anyway. They, they happen because of mistakes that are made on certain pitches that maybe it's supposed to be in one location. And turns out to be it's not or it's a hanging breaking ball. That, but, uh, but, but I still think if you can do the little things to manufacture a run, a run is an important run. In postseason, one run is important. I mean, you're not going to have blowouts like you have during the regular season. You know, and I, I think of Alex Rodriguez. Um, look at how many home runs he hit. And look how many he hit postseason. Because he took advantage of the three, four, five pitchers and the middle relievers. But get some postseason, how many home runs did he hit against the number ones and twos? Not that many. You know, he might have gotten into one every once in a while, but... By and large, he hit 700, 700 home runs on against pitchers that they're saying, who are these guys? He knew who they were because <laughs> he hit them. Let's end on this. Cody and I always get a kick when we look down from our perch here. Yeah. And we've been noticing a lot 
of your guys' generation jerseys. I know you guys showed it yesterday yeah. on NBC Sports California. You got to get a kick when you're seeing a Ray Fossey number 10 yeah, yeah. or a Reggie or a Rudy yeah. or a Raleigh. The old school jerseys are popping up a lot lately. You know, they are. And, of course, you can appreciate what clubs do and try to – matter of fact, Major League Baseball wants teams to – change so that they can sell more merchandise, you know, to yeah. make it available. And matter of fact, Artem Marino, did you hear what he did when he bought the club? Evidently, they wanted their alternate jersey to be changed. The MLB did. He said, nope. He said, these people paid a lot of money for that jersey, and I'm not going to have them have to buy more just because somebody wants to make more money. I want my people to have what they buy. They, they had all had the caps. They had the jerseys. They had whatever they wanted to have. But... Uh, you know, it and is, and, and he's got three million coming in a year. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you that the, the, it was the spring training. I don't. It was a couple of years ago, and the rumors are is Trout going to go back? And you know, he's <laughs> from he's from Jersey. Yeah. Will he play for the Yankees? And I remember we were over um, playing them, and they're in Tempe, right? Yeah. And I got done with the pregame show, and I'm walking around the ballpark, and I go over to their team store, and I walk in. Everything's trout. Yeah. You name every, every every jersey, jersey. They got the hat with the trout fish yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah. I'm going, this guy's going nowhere. <laughs> Everything's trout. It's, yeah. not, it's not pool holes. Yeah. It's not, it was, there's no way they're letting this guy no, go. No, no. He, he's he's going to be there as long as he wants to play. Well, of course, his contract's going to keep him there. But, uh, no, I, I think Artie Marino is smart enough to know that I mean, for what he did in, in, in lowering the prices of, of concessions and souvenirs and all those things when he bought the club, because, I mean, you, you go into Anaheim, it's a sea of red under normal circumstances, yeah. you know. And, and it's back to being that. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's a fun time, but, you know, it's still a great game. I just wish sometime they just leave it alone. <laughs> it's not going to happen, but it'd be, no. it'd be nice. But, it, but it's also nice to look down and – and see the jerseys, like I said, because uh, it does bring back a lot of great memories. Problem is, I was going to get one for Cody. He wouldn't fit into it. Well, maybe you could lose some weight. Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Ray, have was, a great uh, – well, I'll talk to you in about yeah, – 47 minutes. Robert Costa just – Sent me a text. Oh, I'm sure he did. <laughs> Robert's back. <laughs> so I just, I have it. I just thanks. Because <laughs> it's not like we do this every day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is up, Dallas? We got a little reopening today. Yeah, welcome back, boys. Good to see you down here on the dirt. Isn't that crazy? I love it. I love every minute of it. That smiling face of Uncle Towdy as soon as I came out of the tunnel. Yes. You know, we haven't been on the field since 2019. Man, been too long. Because they didn't allow us. ESPN wouldn't allow us for the wild card game. We had to be in Championship Plaza. So, like, walking down here, it was like, how do I get back on the field? Right. How do I? And, of course, we've been watching you. You've been down here. Uh, but for us, finally some normalcy getting back here on A's Cast Live. Well, I tell you what, man. Being, being down where I sit and having the opportunity to sit there in Diamond Level before making the move back to my original spot down there, you're around the fans, and that energy that we were starved of from the beginning of that 2020, whatever you want to call it, type season, you just didn't have that. So to show up to the ballpark, see fans waiting to get into the ballpark, see fans milling about, hearing them cheering for their – like there's that energy and the smell of the ballpark that's been missed. It's here now. It's back. When, when you look back on 2020 – 
because none of us were here. We had our cardboard cutout somewhere, yeah. but we weren't here. What was that like where you're hearing conversations? Next thing you know, Zach Grinky's sitting next to the cardboard cutouts. I mean, y- you hear everything. I mean, for someone who has been out there in front of packed crowds, what was that season like? Well, honestly, consuming the game the way I do now, when you think about going home and playing a soft track and just letting the day kind of melt away, the sounds of the game, the sounds of baseball are harmonious to me. And so the crack of the bat, the thud of the glove, the snap of the glove, there's just the the cleat sound, dirt, shuffling. Like, you could hear all of that. And so I think for the first time in a long time, I was tasting baseball again. You know, it's on my tongue because I didn't have the noise and the in-house PA and all the things that distract you from just sort of being rocked into love with the game of baseball, well, they were they were almost turned up full tilt. So it was a very different way to take it in, but that's why having the fans back reminds you of what really brings energy to the game. You know, when I, I think about this American League, you know, because, you know, the, the A's lose a few games. Next you know, the A's clubhouse show, everybody's in panic mode. Right. But then all of a sudden... Here you have the Houston Astros split a four-game series in Detroit, get swept at home by the Orioles. I think the bottom line, you tell me, I think you got a bunch of teams that are incomplete, and it's anybody's game in the American League. I think that's a great assessment, Tony. I think that word incomplete is a great assessment as well because you can see some holes, you can see some areas that need support, and I think when you go across the board, that's true. And what we've seen right now is teams sort of I don't want to say scramble because it's still the first half, but they've really kind of tried to figure out a way to piece things together, pulling from different areas. I like to use the phrase plug and play because we've seen Bob Melvin plug and play for so long and just do so good at it. But that's why I think the way that divisions have shaped up are where they're at right now because there is a need to to, to, to reestablish and create some more resources for yourself to compete through the second half. Whether this is fair or not, it's kind of like dating back to the, the steroid era. If you're a pitcher now who is not pitching well and certain things like spin rates have changed, mm. you're going to get lumped into, I like to call them the, the glue guys. Sure. We're using some type of glue. Sure. Um, is that fair or not? Um, I'll, I'll tell you this. For the fans that I always try to educate on this when they're like, well, how do we tell? Who do we know? What guy? Can we? That information is public and it's accessible. Baseballsavant.com will give you a lot of answers to a lot of the questions you have. And it might be tough to navigate at first, but I promise you, spend the time to dive in because anytime that question pops up, you can, boom, go and get that answer for you. So I think it's fair to an extent. We're going to have to see how guys bounce back because what you're going to find are guys that have not been able to adjust and guys that have said, you know what, fair's fair. We're going to make that adjustment. So if you try to pinpoint them right now, you might be identifying a guy who is used. But I would say let's give it a while to see just how many guys are paying attention to trying to adjust and get out of having to use that stuff. You know, I'm such a dinosaur that people have asked, hey, when you were pitching in college, did you use? I'm like, use? You kidding me? How many games did we play in college? There wasn't even a rosin bag on the mound, <laughs> let alone using something like spider tack, right? Right, right. right. <laughs> I, I didn't have, I mean, I was obviously, you're, you're aware of what these things are used for, but look, today 
that education and that exposure, though, Townie, like you'd be hard-pressed and you're lying to yourself if you think that kids in travel ball aren't trying to use spider tack because they've heard it talked about in the last month. Well, I can tell you the only, and I hate to say this, and I've quit, uh, but all I cared about was my glove and my can of Kopi. Sure. That's all I cared about. I was at sunscreen. What do you mean? Sunscreen to the ballpark. Never even thought of it. Yeah. Well, that's, hey, I tell you, that's why you you stick around (laughs) this game. You stick around some salty vets, and they can open your eyes to some things that you had no idea about. Like, what what do you mean we got to get rosin from this ball club? Their their rosin's just better than everybody else's rosin? Okay. All right. Let me pay attention to that. You know the one thing that I love about what, what we're doing here on, on A's Cast and A's Cast Live, and we thank all of our fans, we've passed 3 million downloads. Love we, that. We just started in 2019. Your podcast is killing it. It just goes to show that the traditional media is not what it used to be, and this is the new way to do it. This is absolutely the new way to go about it. You can go, and I've said this for the last five, six years, almost a decade it feels like, you can go and get the information you're after from the place you desire these days. And it's not necessarily a matter of competing. It's understanding there's an alternative for people who don't want to consume the product a certain way. They maybe want to consume it a little differently. So they have A's Cast Live that they can tap into. They don't have to wait until 640 to get that first pitch. They can download you right now, get your thoughts on it right now. They don't have to wait. And you're absolutely right. Being able to, to be a menu item for people that's available with regularity is absolutely the new way to grow. You know, I miss watching you pitch. I know you miss pitching. Sure, sure. But I tell you what, Ty, I've said, I, I told you this. When the arm doesn't work, it becomes a heck of a lot easier <laughs> to make peace with how things go, right? I've told you this plenty of times. I got a hard time yawning and stretching in the morning without tearing something. So I'm, I, I'm okay. I think this year we're going to get down to fantasy camp. I would love to have you. We would absolutely love right? to have you. Do this you. show at Fantasy Camp. There, I mean, cool you would, would knock it. You would knock it out of the park. And you want to talk about content, my friend? It's it's an all day affair of watching people ten times worse than you ever were try to go out there and relive it. And the the love that they have for the game. That's what you walk away just drenched in every single day. Them blood and sweat. Me. I'm drenched in the love they have for the game, and we get to see that unfold over the course of a week, week plus. Folks are living out their dreams, and they're doing it. I mean, we're going to have Eric Chavez out there again. Awesome. How great is that? Yeah. A stalwart at third base, the six-time gold glove phenom, is going to be back in fantasy camp dropping his knowledge and sharing stories, and it's the same coaches that have been there all, I mean, the whole way through. You know Mac Babbitt's going to be there, myself. You've got Campy, who's rolling. Stu's rolling. Carney's coming back. Greatness. Kangaroo Court's going to be in full effect. And then the party at night. You know it, baby. <laughs> you hey, know thanks it. for stopping by. It anytime, means a lot. anytime. Townie, Cody, good to see you, boys. And what you do on the broadcast is absolutely spectacular. We love you, brother. Chris Bassett, it is wonderful to see you. It has been a long time. Yeah, this is crazy. Uh, when's the last time this has happened? Uh, 2019 would have been the last game of the Holy year, moly. right before the uh, wild card game. Yeah, I feel like the last time I talked to you in person was maybe Japan or something. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that was you know we've we were just joking that you know we've had Cole Irvin on, mm-hmm. we've had Tony Kemp, we've had Elvis Andrus, and if I walked up to them, they'd have no idea who we are. They've yeah. got they haven't seen us. We yeah. haven't been able to meet these guys, so it's just great to see you guys again. Yeah, welcome back. And I think about the way you've been throwing the ball. I just said your last 15 starts, 9-0 and 
with a 2.74 ERA. Mm -hmm. Just let's talk about how everything's falling into place. Yeah, I think uh, it's more so just uh, me being comfortable, the organization being comfortable with me, and it's kind of been like just the perfect storm kind of thing. It's it's uh, me not, not, not trying to do too much. In the past, I was trying to do too much just to stay at this level, and now it's just more just going out there competing, going out there and just trying to win ball games. Um, so, yeah, I think the comfort level just kind of let me blossom into who I am right now. You know, you've become one of the leaders on this team, and the after your last start, I said in the postgame show, and I played that clip where, you know, they want to ask you about the All-Star game in Colorado, and I loved your answer. It was like, hey, listen, I'm just trying to win games for this team. Mm -hmm. That's all that matters. If the All-Star game happens, that's great. If not, go on vacation and rest. Yeah. But for you, it's all about that W winning for your team. Talk yeah. about that. Yeah, I mean, me and I are really close, um, and we, we I know – our names are both kind of flo floated around, floating around for that game. And it's – I'm not trying to speak about Manaya or to Manaya kind of thing or for Manaya, but, I mean, neither one of us care about that. I mean, we just don't. It, it's we, – we want to win so bad in the, in the postseason. We, we, wanna, we want, obviously, our legacy not to be about an all-star game. It's about a championship. And that's just not just for me. It's for – I think we're so good here because Ole's the same way. Chappie's the same way. Like, Chappie, it'd be pretty dang easy for Chappie to say, I want a platinum glove, gold glove, all this stuff. I don't need to take ground balls. But he busts his butt every day because he's like, listen, I'm trying to get to that next level. I'm trying to I'm trying to win it all. And the only way for me to do that is to constantly push that. So I think Bowmel has a big, big hand in that. The organization has a big hand in that. But, I mean, it's just – we have a lot of guys here that don't care about individual stuff. Yeah, I mean, Matt Chapman's kind of guy that can go 0 for 4, but if you win, next thing you know, you're getting up on the free throw line and everybody's having a good time to yeah. where I think there's quite a – it's sad, but I think there's quite a few guys, if your team wins, but you go 0 for 4, you're going to be mad, and that's just not yeah. right. Yeah, uh, I I don't think many guys like that last in this game anymore. You, you, you can't be selfish – Obviously, this game is kind of selfish in the numbers aspect of it, but if you're not trying to truly win, then you're, you're especially if you're a leader, your team's going to be bad. If, if, you're, if, if your leaders are selfish and all they care about is themselves, you're not going to be a good team. It's that simple. Yeah, you've, you've said in the past that guys leave here and they go to clubhouses and they're miserable and it's, mm -hmm. it's not fun. And that's just kind of – talk about the culture that you guys do have in that clubhouse. Yeah, it's, it's – uh, you better bust your butt. You better bring it every day. But at the end of the day – um, we're here to win. Um, we're not here for individual stats. We're here to win. So um, I think people go to a different environment and they say, this ain't the right way to play because I just came from the right way to play and this ain't it. So, yeah, there's a lot of people that definitely leave here and they say, I wish I was not here. I wish I was back in Oakland. So with the new being able to go up into the Raiders' old locker room, you guys got more space now. Yeah. Uh, take us I'm sure you've taken a few shots uh, you yeah. played basketball back yeah. in the day. How have you done with the the? So people got into there's a yeah. fog machine, yeah. disco music, yeah. the whole thing's going on. Yeah, uh, I am really bad right now at it. I'll give you that. <laughs> and I'll, I'm gonna say, usually you don't, you don't go like six innings and, and make the shot. Usually you have to go seven innings or plus kind of thing. And your arm's pretty fatigued at that point. So my my shots have been so erratic that. I'm embarrassed to say I even shot, but yeah, I, I am like 0 for 4, 0 for 5 on the year. 
Bomel was one for one right off the bat. Like, this is the easiest thing. Why are we doing this? But uh, we only got like four or five guys that have made it so far. It's pretty hard to to make a shot at the end of the day when you're kind of tired. Talk about your relationship with Bob from when you got here to where you are now. I, I, it, it's it's not so much Bomel. It's all me of just I'm I'm weird. Like um, a lot of people like to be guided and talked to. I like to kind of be left alone um, and just let me do my thing kind of thing. And I feel like the organization took a while to understand that. And I took a while to kind of understand them and what they were trying to do. Um, and now I think me and Bowmel's relationship is just great just because he, like I said, he trusts me. I trust him. But like, if I ever have a problem with him, I'm not going to like go and talk to someone else. I'm going right to him. And then same thing for for me to him, I mean, him to me is just he knows I don't like the old like pat on the back. I don't need the the happy comments or like are you okay kind of thing. I just I'm the guy you kick in the butt and say listen like that was wrong or whatever it may be. And I think they've learned that I need the tough love. I don't need the pat in the back. So uh, <laughs> I feel I feel like they've learned me well. I've learned them well. Well, I tell you what, it's very obvious that you're you're sniffing the the finish line when you go out there now. Like you're expecting seven, eight. You want to make it nine. Mm-hmm. You know, so many we so many times we see five and dive in our game, and that's kind of been one of the really good things. I mean, you guys, your rotation leads the American mm-hmm. League in innings pitched. Uh, just talk about for you, like when you take that ball every fifth day, you you expect to go deep. Yeah, I, I think it's a. Uh it was a it's a baseball mindset to get to the bullpen and i think it's a it's a horrible it's a horrible strategy long term i think in a 60 game season sure in a playoff scenario sure but you need the pitchers that start games to go deep period end of story um and i don't think it's just me i think Manaya, you're seeing Manaya that's really trying to go deep you see irving that just did what he did in san fran you're seeing montas eat innings you're seeing caprillion like Obviously, he's young, but he's wanting more and more innings. So, like, we got starters that really, really want to go deep into games and say, listen, Deekman, listen, Petit, like, you guys take a day off. I know you guys have been used a lot, but, like, you take a day off. And the more and more trust, obviously, we gain with Bomel, Emo, the front office, I think it only betters our team long term just because we're already kind of in the rhythm and flow of the game. And, I mean – one one more inning's not that much in in the grand scheme of things. So uh, if you if you put the work in, conditioning wise, arm care wise, then yeah, all those little innings just add up. So yeah, I think that's just our starter mentality. That's Emo's mentality for us. Is listen, we want you guys to go as deep as you can. And I think about Cap. Like we had no idea what the A's were getting in him coming up here. But the guy's worked out of jams and all these different starts. He's got good stuff. I know this is my scorebook. I'm writing down a bunch of reverse Ks, which means they're not seeing him. Mm-hmm. Just talk what you, as you said, he's a young guy, but he's been impressive. Yeah. Uh, when he came up, I mean, honestly, I don't think anyone knew who we were getting. Um, obviously, we were around him in spring training. I had talks with him in spring training when he got sent down. But, like, you don't know who you got until they're up here. I mean, until till the numbers really – go to the back of the card and they mean something you don't know who you got and pretty pretty quickly I would say within the first couple outings we were like we got someone here because I mean Cap just has what you call it I mean he just 
he goes out there and competes. And when, when stuff gets tough, when he gets punched in the mouth, so to speak, he's a guy that doesn't, like, sit down. He fights back. He's not a guy that walks guys. He's a guy that's like, listen, this is my stuff. Try to beat me. And a lot of guys tend to, like, try to pitch cute in those situations or whatever. But he, he has that, like, bulldog mentality that it's, it's very special. And obviously him and Chapman, they're very good friends off the field even in like the off season and they have very similar mentalities where it's like, listen, we're going to outwork you and we just, we care more than you. And it's, it's, it's awesome to see a young guy be that headstrong so early in his career. Cause I mean, he, he can be very special long-term, very, very special. Yeah. Chapman doesn't lack confidence. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Just tell me quickly about you guys got all these rituals that we're seeing now on camera, the starting pitchers yeah. on days you not pitch. How much fun are you having with that? Yeah. It's just, it's just us staying together, having fun together. Um, we're really close on and off the field. And I think if you're close as a group, it, it, it's a lot easier to handle struggles. It's a lot easier to not get so head, like get your head so big on, on successes and stuff like that. So, we tend to humble each other every day a lot. So uh, it's it's a it's a fun group, but uh, yeah, we we like to work. Yeah, I, I I hope you make it to the All Star team. You obviously deserve it. But the number one thing that I want for you, and I think would be one of the great things of this season, is to see you out there game one starting a playoff series here at the Coliseum. That would be that would be wonderful to see. Yeah, uh, I mean obviously game one's huge, but. Uh, as long as we win game one, I don't care who the hell's on the mound. I'll tell you, <laughs> Manai can be on the mound, Caprillion can be on the mound. I don't, if we win game one, I'm happy. I don't care who's on the mound. But, um, yeah, being being in the playoffs period and having – I mean, it's kind of funny you bring it up because we were talking, me and Manai today, about yes, last year's playoff atmosphere and the lack of it. I mean, we were in the playoffs, but, I mean, really the fans were limited everywhere. Like the energy kind of going into it is kind of limited they're pumping fan noise in and like obviously the dream is to have this place completely packed playoff time and then go somewhere else somewhere else and it's completely packed so that's what we're all envisioning we're all we're all envisioning the very end goal and that's that's literally all of our goals well it's been great watching you pitch your class act we've always appreciated your time here on A's cast live and keep it rolling and it's just great to see you again yeah, no doubt no <laughs> doubt thanks Chris we truly appreciate thank it thank you this has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.